This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that plays behind closed doors. It does, every week. Anyway, apparently football returned on Saturday in the Bundesliga behind closed doors. I didn't get to watch it, but when I listened on the radio, it sounded like the five-a-side tournaments I used to play in when I was a kid. You look like them. Yeah, but without with much less atmosphere, that has to be said. Anyway, I get that they need to get football back for economic reasons, but it really was an unedifying farce. But if that was bad, the collective gushing from the football media about how good and acceptable it was proves, if proof were needed, what a self-serving bunch of sycophants they all are. Most football journalists, paid to be there, sitting in the press box, have never been or ever will be football supporters. For them, football supporters are an inconvenience to be derided or patronised. If the reporting after the Bundesliga games is anything to go by, that much is self-evident. They are part of the problem, not the solution. And uh, tonight's show is Hard Times, Chelsea Fancast number 505. And as always, Jonathan, an absolute pleasure and delight joy, to see you. A joy, Chijarama, Ch- to be on the, uh, the we show. We should rename the show Chijarama, I like that. I love it. Yes, perfect. And we've already renamed. I, we've renamed the emails J.K. Nori, haven't we? Perfect. Absolutely. Already, already. I see a theme occurring. Well, it is. It's it's like the BBC 1970s schedule. It's very appropriate. We just need Crackerjack. You know what? What can, what can Mark be? I don't know. Well, don't 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 don't. We te- we're sorry. Don't know. Oh. The, the listeners don't know yet. Well, I'm, I like I like to suspend the disbelief. Uh, it's always a delight to see J.K. And as always, he's he, 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 premature ejaculation in a script. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not as experienced as you. In a scriptural sense, you just can't keep it in your pocket, mate. That's I that's the reality. Uh, it's, it's always out. Now, look, I'm I'm I am really. I mean, I have to say, doing the 50 years of Chelsea thing is, is for me has breathed new life 
into this tired old miserable grumpy bagpuss type like format that we've been doing for 12 years uh i've never been a fan of having to talk about the last game uh and i've really enjoyed this but uh I, i love the fact that we've combined a lot of our recent guests who don't get to come on the show a lot particularly with uh, the books that they've authored and uh now this gent our guest tonight he's been on the show before but interestingly enough only uh, as an interview i did with both him and the lovely 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 neil smith when they wrote the book eddie mac eddie mac um and of course uh mark mark Meehan, the lovely mark Meehan, who uh is still a cfc uk writer but even more uh i think legendarily was very much involved with the Chelsea Independent, which was the precursor to CFC UK, before I even kind of understood and realised things like fanzines existed, such as my uh, neophyte support of Chelsea. God, I'm coming out. Yeah, I know. Woo! Neophyte. How about that? Yeah, stick that pipe in you, smoke it. Yeah, football journalists don't know words like that, mate. Oh, no. Anyway... So, uh, yeah, so Mark was an absolute legend in Chelsea's support. He's, he's also, under the wire, Mark is involved with so many things to do with Chelsea's support. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. And with good reason. He listen, he's in Mixler most weekends, uh, listening to the show with you, you, you horrible lot. He's an absolute legend and, and, and he's a dear, dear man. One of the sweetest people you will meet at Chelsea. And I have to say, his knowledge of this era of Chelsea is beyond encyclopedic. So me and Jonathan, Jonathan was there and he will learn stuff that he didn't know tonight. I wasn't there and I will be learning first. So I think also, Mark, you've probably had the biggest introduction of any guest we've ever had, but I have to say it's massively well-deserved. Good evening, Jonathan. Good evening, Chidge. Thank you very much, Chidge, for that kind, (laughs) kind introduction. It's a pleasure to be on the show this evening. Absolute pleasure. There Looking you go. forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's good to see you, apart from anything else, because I haven't seen you at the, at the ground for a long time. Because I, I often, I often see Mark at the CFC UK stall, of course. So, uh, but it, it's really lovely to actually have you part of the fan cast. Uh, and and by the way, Jonathan, I've I've talked to his agent, and uh, his agent for the small fee of ten percent of Smarties has agreed that he he'll, he'll come back next week to do seventy six seventy seven. And maybe even the following, we might have a hat trick of Mark on the show. That's how it's panning out. I think it's fair enough. He knows more than you and I. So well, it, that's not hard in my case. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah. I, 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 once again, I will, I'll reiterate. I'll I'll deny I've ever been to a game, and then as as we're talking about it, I'll go, "Oh, yeah, God, bloody hell, I was there." Oh, I said, Mark. Normally, the only way I can remember if, if I've actually got a I've got a program of them, I kept obviously kept every program of every match I've ever been to. But they're in storage because I've moved, and uh, I've. Uh, I think it would be eccentric to merely get the programs out. But at the same time, it would help because I could then say, "You see, Mark, for for the for the listener at home, Mark gets out a plastic bag crammed full of Chelsea programs and uh, of every of the season." I oh yeah, suspect. in order, no doubt. In, uh, no doubt, no doubt. They yeah. they are in order with that awful front cover from the first game of the season of a half-empty East End, mm. which was there for the rest of the season, wasn't it? it just oh, pretty much, it. pretty much. Right. Uh, without further ado, on the show tonight uh, with football returning in Germany, we discuss what we think of it and are there any lessons to be learned if and when it happens here. We also talk about Luca Vialli after his excellent interview in the Guardian about his battle with cancer. 
incredibly revealing interview and uh i mean i love luca anyway but if you if you walk away from that interview with less than even more love for him then you're a very hard man indeed uh, in parts two and three as i've been trailing for the last five minutes we're going to continue our 50 years of chelsea series looking back at the 1975-76 season uh, chelsea now find themselves in division two for the first time since 1963 but with Eddie McCready in charge, the old guard are a place with Chelsea's bright young stars of the future, led by Ray Wilkins. But it is not plain sailing, and there appears to be a lot of work to do. And in part four, we wrap up with your emails. Got a couple of emails this week and an Instagram post, so looking forward to that. And as ever, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash... Uh, Chelsea hyphen fancast where of course you can join in the chit chat the jibber jabber uh, and talk to each other and ignore what we're talking about while I ignore what you're saying uh, but no it's great fun and we usually get loads of people in there uh, and uh, just to prove that we have oh we've got the delightful Claire McConnell Andrew Self I saw Alan May score Jonathan your mate Jonathan Perez Jonathan uh, Bert Stoltz Michael Gibbon keep the blue flag flying high in the north uh, and actually, we're a bit we're a bit uh, thin on the ground tonight. I don't know what we've done to deserve that. Their stamina is not like ours. That's all I can say. Uh, so there we go. Anyway, so uh, Mixler's a great place to be, and you can hang out with your Chelsea mates. Uh, and of course, also you can tweet us at Chelsea Fancast anytime you like, uh, or even doing the show and tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. And we will be back to talk about football very soon. So, uh, you know, not a lot happening, of course. The government faffing around, Premier League faffing around, journalists faffing around, making up transfer stories, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it is just beyond tedium. But, of course, uh, the Germans who, you know, just to add a bit of context here, the Germans who uh, had one of the lowest uh, rates of infection in the world and the lowest death rates because... Uh, I hate to, you know, be stereotypical, but they're clearly very organised. And they dealt with it in the right bloody way. So, in a sense, it's no surprise to see them being prepared to take a chance by uh, reintroducing football, albeit behind closed doors. Uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say is the situation would be very, uh, completely different over here, where, you know, second only to that, you know, what's that? what do they call him? mango in chief or something in 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 the states you know it's i mean the, the death rate is just awful and we're second only to that lot which tells you everything you need to know about the incompetence of our own government but politics aside um it's come back in germany in the bundesliga and it's being played behind uh, closed doors and i kind of meant every word i said in the intro gents you know i thought it was a load of old pony uh and then i read in on a, on sunday in the papers oh well actually do you know what Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe football behind closed doors isn't that bad. Maybe we can all like it. And I just think you sycophantic bunch of wankers. Frankly, Jonathan, have you seen what they're doing in um, in in uh, Korea? They they're, they're sticking uh, 
They're yeah, sex dummies. dolls. You yeah, yeah. Sex dolls. Yeah, that'd be a great way of dealing with it. Couldn't they it? should stick a few in the press box. They talk more fucking right, sense. They could, they could fart every every few minutes or something. <laughs> um, but um, uh, um, I, I had a go. Watched it. I was like uh, watching a, a as you said, Chicha's Sunday League game. It was like um, a kick around um, uh, because players are absolutely certainly affected by um, the environment and people getting on their back and people getting on their back in a good way and uh and and it, it was it was hard for the players to get motivated i could see that um uh, they they passed the ball very crisply in a way that i think similarly they might be more nervous if there's a crowd watching um because the crowd could put pressure on you in both negative and positive ways even if you're home side you want to be be seen to be doing well i think they were lacking in nerves both teams um um, I was uh, annoyed that Torgan Hazard played so well because I thought, why on earth did we sell him for five million? Um, but another one who got away. But uh, uh, as I was watching it, I actually thought, this is all very well, but, you know, as an experiment. But I, I A, as you say, Chidge, it doesn't work without a crowd. But B, I don't have any interest in this at all. I have no affinity. I have no allegiance I don't want to watch the Bundesliga. All right, it's football. I thought, no, I want to watch the Premier League. I want to watch Chelsea. I want to watch my team. That's the team I like watching. I might watch another team if they're involved. But as a as a as an exercise, um, I mean, how many people watched it? I read a, a billion people around the world watched it. Therefore, financially, it's an unbelievable success. So people will carry on watching football everywhere. Also, I suppose large betting syndicates are involved as well. So that's one of the reasons people are going to be very pleased that it's taking place. But for me, excuse me, I, I'm, I'm also intrigued to see what will happen if any of them now get the coronavirus. Will the whole team not be taking place? Will they just be allowed to be uh, will, will they carry on? Will that person be isolated? Do they have to do 14 days uh, in in in, um, in in lockdown after that, what what happens if they do they do an, another test? Will that be revealed, or will that be just be swept under the carpet so the players get on with it? I find it all a bit too. Uh, it's too sanitized. It doesn't. It's not what we watch football for. No, quite. And, uh, it doesn't work for me at all. No, good point, mate. I, I just good. Jonathan makes a really good point there, actually, Mark. And the, and the more. Uh, erudite among us on, on Twitter made a very good point, which is, well, you know, what the hell? What, we're not interested in watching Dortmund play, uh, play uh, Schalke 04, uh, but it might be different when uh, Chelsea eventually get to play behind closed doors and they're playing whoever. Let's say they they play, um, I don't know, what's the next match that we were supposed to play? Norwich? Anyway, whatever, whoever they're playing, when when Chelsea are involved, we might be a little bit more impassioned and we might be a bit more interested, Mark. Uh, I'm t- I think I'd say I'm struggling with all of this and I agree with Jonathan. I had absolutely no interest in that game o- over the weekend. <laughs> and I think when you look at what's happening over the last eight weeks, you know, and people are dying and people are still dying, this obsession, you know, to get this game back on when we don't know for certain, and Jonathan's right there, yeah, what if someone then tests positive? You know, if someone tests positive, you know, you know, are they going to cancel the season? I, I, I really, really struggle with this, and I just think, you know, the time for football to be played is when it's safe, 
and when people can be back safe in the stadiums. And if that takes a while to happen, so be it. If that means, you know, the season doesn't start until early in the new year, so be it. If you go back 20 years, and remember, we're talking about fit athletes, it wasn't uncommon for teams to play 65 games in a season. So if you ended this season and started the next one with nine games to go, you're talking 47 league games. You know, there are ways you can do it. You know, I've just got no interest in it at this present moment in time, not what's happened to the rest of the world. And I thought it was an interesting the BBC said over the weekend to describe it. They called it bizarre, sterile and eerie. Yeah, and that, that's probably, <laughs> probably a very good description of, of what it was. And again, you know, you had these people appearing on television. We're going to, we've become Schalke supporters and we've gone out and bought the shirt. Why? Because yeah, they're sad. Our, you know, Leipzig was sort of contacting Chelsea fans online, sort of saying, become become a Leipzig fan for the weekend. Well, actually, I might have become a Leipzig fan at some point if you'd actually played our bloody player in Ampadu, but he's only had about three games here in the last 12 months. So, yeah. you know, whilst everything's going on in the world, I really don't see the Mark, point, you know, worse. in rushing back to play football. Worse with Ampadu, he got a bloody haircut. He should never yeah, have done did. that. I, he uh, didn't recognise him. He, he looked so, it, it made him stand out. You thought, bloody hell, Ampadu with his hair, great. No, I think he looks a lot better with his hair done. Oh, um, what do you what do you think about the journo's reaction to it? Because, I mean, he, I, I mean, look, number one, and and I think just to follow up from what Mark was saying, as much as I loathe it and hate it and detest the idea of it, and I, you know, I was going to write an article about why I think all the journalists are sycophants, and then I thought, well, I've already done it last week. I kind of put on record my feelings against what a load of old pony it is. So I'm not going to do it all again. But um, I do get it. I do get the point uh, that whether I like it or not, number one, the clubs do need to start playing again because even Chelsea, for the millions and millions and millions of pounds we turn over, they cannot afford to take the kind of hit that they would hit or they would take if if, uh, they didn't complete the season and the monetary issues therein. So I get that they have to finish it and I get that they need the money and it's not just pure greed. But... For the journalists to fall in line, I just thought was incorrigible. I mean, I, I, I suppose technically I'm a football journalist. I belong to the Football Writers Association. Am I the only one sitting there saying, I can see the Emperor's not wearing any clothes, mate? I mean, what's, I think, the, what's I it about? I still, I still think you've got some good journalists out there. Yeah, Henry. The last, yeah. Hen- you were, you know, I was going to say Henry Winter, Martin Samuels, looking at some of the things they've written over the last eight weeks. Yeah, very balanced, very, you know, proper reporting. But yeah, I, I, as I said, I don't get, you know, some of this obsession to rush back. You know, I do get, you know, they have to start at some stage. Completely understand that. But what's this obsession and rush to start by the first or second week of June? You know, what if they don't start till September? Well, yeah. they run out of money, Mark. That's the issue. But That's will, the worry. Will, will they run out of money? I know if you're a non-league club or you're a third division side, yes, I, I would accept you know, the risk of running out of money is a hell of... If you're Accrington Stanley, you're going to run out of money a lot quicker <laughs> than Manchester. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you're right. It is all relative. But I, I'm telling you now, it, it's a, it is a real issue. You know, you, you know Chelsea and the insides of that club as well as I do. And you know the cost-cutting that's gone on since Guy Lawrence turned up, the penny-pinching there, and the some of the ridiculously uh, banal ways for them to try and claw back money. I mean, Exhibit A... Uh, that stupid media watch on the fifth stand. 
they want to claw back the revenue from the clickbait that they have on there rather than see other people get it. So, you know, don't be under any illusion. Chelsea can't afford to lose money. So, Jonathan. I gotta say that they they even they go with the transfer rumours on the fifth stand, don't they? They have actually have a a, a, um, a, a page that is the rumours about Chelsea players and about who is coming to Chelsea. So they're they're feeding the whole of that uh, that whole ridiculous um, um, frenzy that takes place whenever somebody posts a lie from Italy that somebody is eyeing a move to Chelsea. Indeed, they, they, they are themselves part of that. So, and I, I it, it's so much about money, though, isn't it, Chidge? We've said about this. I mean, I will be intrigued to see what the deal is with the Bundesliga for having gone back so quickly as to whether they've been given backhanders or whether that prevents them then from, uh, from uh, they don't need then to, well, they're fulfilling their fixtures. Therefore, they don't need to pay the, uh, the television company. Well, back. there was, there was a rumour that the, the Sky and BT will still uh, want 362 million back even if the Premier League does complete the season. So Christ knows what well, that's all about. What's the reasoning behind that? What's I can't remember, but you know, I, I, I who knows? I don't know, but I just happened to read the headline. Look, talking of journalists, uh, you know, occasionally you, you do stumble across some really good journalism and there was an absolutely fantastic um, article or interview, should I say, really, um, and I'll find out the name of the guy who wrote it in a minute when I find it on, on, on the Twitter thing. But it was uh, they were interviewing uh, Gianluca Vialli, one of my favourite, favourite Chelsea players ever. Um, I, I just absolutely adore Luca Vialli. I did when he played. I did before he came to Chelsea. I, I fell in love with him even more when he was at Chelsea. And, uh, and then he became our manager. And then, of course, as many people know, uh, it was announced, I think it was in December last, that uh, he had... Uh, become cancer-free. He had pancreatic cancer. He had two nine-month doses of chemotherapy to get rid of it. And he was... I mean, if you saw any pictures of him at the time, he looked seriously, seriously unwell. Anyway, the article was in The Guardian. It was by Donald McRae. I don't know if you boys had a chance to to read it at all. Mark, did you read it? I did. I, I, I saw the article in The Guardian because, again, I think, like you, I picked it up on Twitter. And then Ollie Holt in the Mail on Sunday also did uh, an interview with Gianluca yesterday. Um, and it was just those two articles, just an amazing read. Um, um, a great manager, but also a great man. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote down one of the quotes he put in there, which ties back to what we were just talking about, because they asked him, what would he do in this current position? And he said... If I was still a player, I'd probably find it difficult to focus on playing football because people are still dying. You know, just like, sorry, yeah, Luca just says it all for me. You know, that, back to my point I made earlier. Yeah, I mean, he gets it. Jonathan? Wasn't that, isn't that what Danny Rose has been talking about frequently, yeah. being vilified as a consequence by so many people um, by this, this, this terrible charge? I suppose that there are so many people who are... Uh, worried about losing their businesses that they really would love to force the issue to get everybody back but you know my point of view is I've got an 11 year old daughter and uh, if she goes back to school I have uh, lung problems I have asthma and I had bronchitis last year I had pneumonia two years ago and uh, she is likely to bring it back in some sense some way I don't know on her hands we don't know whether kids can carry it at the moment that's still a, a moot issue so uh, I, I am personally forced to not be involved and I, I as you say the whole ridiculousness of how many people 
still dying a month, 400 and 450. So there's this, this huge thing going on in the hospitals. And yet somehow we're supposed to just get back to work, get back to do what we normally do as long as we distance. Well, football, you certainly can't be distanced from. And this is why I will reiterate this, this business of, of I'd like to find out whether any of the players in the Bundesliga then have, have, been, have been found to be positive because that would immediately put the mockers on any, any prospect of any football coming back. If the, the model is found to be faulty, well, that's the end of that then. And I'd like it to be found to be faulty, personally, because I, I think at the moment it's unbelievably dangerous. Yeah, well, I, couldn't, I can't add anything to that, JK, because I think that's spot on. I mean, going back to the Luca thing, um, what, what really came out of it for me was his uh, incredible honesty, uh, you know, and how, how it's affected him and how it's changed his life in many respects. And that he, uh, he's, he was saying that, you know, when, when, they, when you're a footballer, you have to be very um, locked down in a way, no, no pun intended, because you can't show your emotions you all have to pretend to be tough and and he's he's this has allowed him to kind of get in touch with his emotions and his vulnerable side and that actually plays in very well to what I want to speak about next which is uh, the fact that it's mental health week uh, at the moment uh, Chelsea as always uh, doing some great work in this area they do anyway with the Chelsea Foundation but they've launched a specific program this week uh, obviously this is a subject that's close to my heart because uh, for most of my week I work in mental health as a psychotherapist so uh, I thought it'd be remiss of me not to mention it uh, and as I said because of what um, Luca Vialli was saying it seemed to kind of you know chime a few bells with me on that score so um, yeah you need to take your mental health seriously but I mean not not especially if you're a bloke I mean you know women uh, have as many problems as well but I mean the blokes amongst us I'm afraid are not too good at asking for help or or, or allowing themselves to believe that they are part of the human race and have vulnerabilities um, and I'm afraid that suicide rates amongst men are incredibly high appallingly high uh, and self-care is a massively important thing. And the first step is to go and ask for some help. And it's very, very easy to do. And I think particularly at a, a time like now where lockdown is having a, a huge impact on on all of us in all sorts of different ways. Some people don't like being isolated. Some people can't stand. I mean, forget the football. You know, not being able to see your friends or your family can have a really massive impact on you and your mental health. So if you're struggling at the moment for whatever reason, the first port of call is your doctor. Go and see your GP and talk to your GP. Um, they will offer all sorts of, uh, you know, solutions and, and, and areas where you can get further help. But one of them, of course, is counselling. I'm biased. I am a counsellor. So I'm bound to say, go and find somebody who you can talk to where you can find a space which is completely non-judgmental and uh, where they will just generally listen to you and hear you. And the, the power of actually being heard uh, can be very therapeutic in itself. Very easy to find a therapist in this country. If you won't, if you can't get free counselling through your doctor, I'm afraid these days with the cuts in the NHS, it's very difficult to get decent counselling for free, and you do end up having to pay. Um, but uh, you can find them very easily. There are two organisations. One is the BACP, and uh, the other is the Counselling Directory. And you just well, just tap into Google, find a therapist, and you'll be able to find somebody local who'll be able to talk to you. So. I think the first step is just, you know, don't be scared to go and ask for help. It's really important that you do and then look after yourself. So there you go. 
mental health week very good thing um now um after this funny little break uh, we're going to be uh re-engaging with uh w- which is i have to say I- i'm so glad we've done this we're getting a lot of love for this by the way you know people are really liking this whole 50 years of chelsea thing uh and the next installment is uh is the 1975-76 season where chelsea find themselves in division two and uh First time they'd been there for for over ten years, and uh, Mark, uh, this is a season, a whole sequence of seasons that that Mark Meehan uh, absolutely loves and knows very very well because he wrote a book about it, Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac, and this kind of coincided with Eddie Mac's reign of Chelsea. So we'll be talking all about that after the break. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels. Okay, it's Steph Chidge here. Uh, this is the Chelsea Fancast, uh, and uh, I'm joined as ever by the delightful Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Oh, how lovely to be described that way, Chidge. All I can yes. say is, will there be a buggers muddle again this week? Or no, we that... did the buggers muddle gag last week. Okay, no, not a gag. I wonder whether or not that with no, me no. fight, there would be <laughs> another another ancient word that we could analyse. I've and... got I've got an ancient word for you, clusterfuck. Oh, that's a modern word. Is it? I thought it was Anglo-Saxon. Oh, really? I must look it up. Okay. Um, right, before we get into the good old season that was 1975-76, uh, a quick plug, actually, because Mark, Mark will uh, be very cross with me if I don't mention this, but uh, CFC UK, like us, uh, has uh, stoically carried on in spite of the fact there's no football, and the latest issue is an absolute humdinger of an issue, even if I do say so myself, because it's absolutely dedicated to captain, leader, legend, Mr. John Terry himself. So every article in the fanzine uh, is about JT. I haven't, I haven't read yours yet, Mark. You haven't? Oh, it's in the centre pages. So is it? That's the psychology of any kind of book or magazine. You always open up the centre pages. So I was delighted. I see I was in those pages, this issue. It's a great issue. Yeah. Well, Tim, Tim Rolls will tell you the first, uh, the first article I read is always my own. So and mine are usually at the back, so I tend to work my way from the back to the front. But so what's uh, the reasoning behind that, Chidge? But I I read my own. Yeah, just to see whether whether it's as good as you remember it or whether. Because uh, you know what, there are many. Re- Tim think Tim thinks it's because I've got a fat ego, and of course, you know, there's an element of truth to that. But the real the the real other reasons could possibly be. I can't remember what I wrote usually. I mean, this one I can because it's the JT issue, so even I can remember that. Invariably, I write it way before it comes comes out, and I've forgotten what I wrote about, so I'm intrigued to know what I wrote. Secondly, um, I'm usually intrigued to see if he who must not be named, also known as DJ, has edited anything out or, or erroneously corrected grammar. Or I mean, I remember I wrote uh, the old contemptibles. I had a reference to the old contemptibles, and DJ questioned this and said, that's not a word. And they don't, ex- I said, they do. It's First World War history. So there are always things like that that I check for. Um, and, and that's about it, really. Uh, so there you go. But mainly because I've got a fat ego, it has to be said. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's a really great issue, as Mark was saying. I mean, it is an absolute stonker. I mean, it also includes, other than Mark's great piece in the middle pages, um, there's an interview uh, with JT done in 2015 with Mickey Microphone of CFC UK fame. fame. So if you want a copy, uh, you can get them. 
even if there's no football and no stall, you can still get them. You can get them digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net or uh, CFC you can be bought via post priced at £2, including first-class postal delivery to order. Send uh, an address via email and uh, send your address via email and pay using PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. Uh, and I mean, you can get this in, in the USA as well. And I think you can also get them on eBay, although it's so complicated, I don't understand how that works. But there you go. Um, I, I think also I'm going to give a quick plug to Patreon now and I can get it out of the way. Um, yeah, Patreon. Uh, we do have a Patreon account and it's, it's, you know, lots of people are in there and they donate a little bit of money every week which is, or every month, which is great because it, it helps keep this damn thing uh, on the road and uh, helps to cover... Uh, you'll be surprised how many costs there are involved. Uh, less so on the beer front these days since we moved out of Putney Station, but there are like, hosting costs and you name it. Anyway, so it's very, very gratefully received. Um, I, I try hard to kind of engage with you. I put my article on on, on football uh, fans being uh, more important than no football uh, last week. And I also, I think, I put a link up to the last My Chelsea, which, uh, funnily enough, featured me. But I try and get on, get stuff on there for you. And it's a good way of getting hold of me if you want to. So there we go. Patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, I, I commend it to you. Uh, now, um, as I said earlier on, we've got uh, an absolute privilege having Mark here tonight because he wrote, he's literally written the book on this. The Eddie Mac years. Uh, of course, um, Eddie McCready, we last heard from last week. Uh, in his first match in charge being the infamous battle at White Hart Lane uh, where Chelsea lost 2-0 and in many respects it kind of sent us down and uh, Eddie dispensed with a lot of the old players and chose the youth players which was a bold thing to do uh, didn't quite work for him although you know on another day Wilkins would have equalised and who knows who knows history may have been changed have gone down the following year <sighs> yeah I think that's the, that was the conclusion that we got to funnily enough wasn't it that's a very good point so there you go. So um, the first thing that I picked up this season, Mark, uh, reading your book, actually, um, was, and I didn't know this, I, I really, oh no, actually it wasn't, this, this I found at the, the kind of the, the coder in Tim's book, uh, funnily enough, but Chelsea, uh, I mean, Brian Mears actually put Chelsea into the hands of the receivers, so basically gave up the ghost and said, look, that's it, we're out of money, um, and there was, I can't quite remember the details, but for some reason, it didn't go through, and they kind of forgot about it, and therefore we just carried on. I mean, I've given a pretty nebulous summary of that, but what what do you remember of that? I don't remember the receivership. I said I think what what I remember is almost sort of like the end of the seventy five six season, and um, a book I'd recommend to you is the first book Brian Mears wrote. I think he wrote it in the late eighties, early nineties. Eighty two is eighty two, um, and and he talks in the first part of that book about going at the end of the season, sort of like cap in hand to the bank. And basically we were sort of like, you know, seconds of going out of business, you know. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was a bit of gallows humour in it when he was sort of talking about going there. So, you know, at that time, you know, I was like 13 years of age. So, you know, Chelsea going out of business was just like oblivious, oblivious to me. I it, it probably didn't appreciate it at the time. It's only in later years as you more get into the history you know, and, and you read and hear about the club, how close we were, you know, to no longer being here. Yeah, I mean, that's what really struck me, actually, Mark. It, it, I, I had no idea that it, it was that close. When you, when, when you, when, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who know what this means, but if you go, if you put your, put your uh, company into receivership, 
you're basically going into administration and yep. very very i mean i know i've been there but uh very very few uh yeah i mean my company went down adding half a million jk i mean you know as the, i took i took that old adage if i go down i go down in flames quite literally are you are you a crook no oh, okay. why would that make me a crook well, I know that you can get away with it, but really, are you a crook? No, no, because I, I wasn't trying to get away with it. We were trying to keep the company going. It. So, it's no, it was, in, yeah, we, we were trying to pay our creditors back, but okay. it, we just got screwed. We made some bad decisions. It wasn't all on my head. I, I, I was one of several directors. But, you know, when you put how your did, company... Well, how, did, how did this escape the press, though? The press didn't go for this at all. You don't remember it? I don't remember it. No, no, no. Well, I, I mean, as I said, it was news to me. I don't remember me. it being a mark. Am I wrong not to remember it? I can't. No, you're, you're not, Jonathan. As I said, you know, it's, it's only more re recent years. Like reading the Brian Mears book, I didn't read yeah. it at the time. I, I got it a few years ago when I was researching Eddie Mac. And you see how close we were to going out of business because I don't remember it being reported at the time. No, no. Yeah. I wonder yeah. whether he had a few ins with people with it, or he was very secretive about it, or the bank just bailed him out. So that was the end of that. He didn't feel it necessary. That didn't. It never, it never came across like that. But it, it, it was, I mean, when you think about it, it, it made obvious sense. I mean, I, I, I read in, in, in your book, in fact, I think that they were three million in debt. Is that right? Is that right, Mark? They were, it was three million at yeah, the time. Yeah, and I think, if, I, know, I, know, I know we're probably going to talk about the crowds of that season, but if you look at it as a business model, when the East Stand was built, yeah. they had to survive to, for the model to work on 30,000 crowds. Now, if we go through the crowds of the 75-6 season, there was very few occasions where we got anywhere near 30,000. There was a lot of occasions where we were a lot below 20,000. So if on a business model, you're getting 10,000 less every single home game, that's going to impact and you know have an impact on your bank balance. And was that just paying off the interest? I think it was, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. just uh, yeah. yes, it was. two grand a week or something. They were having a fork yeah. out, which doesn't sound a lot of money these days, but in those days, it was a lot of money. And of course, they'd spent you know, two, up with over two million on the stand. I mean, this was really the, the summation of Tim's book uh, that we've been relying heavily on for the last few weeks, Jonathan, that, you know, that the, the preceding season was really the shit or bust moment. You know, they'd spent all the money on the stand. They'd got rid of their star players and hoiked in some money for that. But a whole coalescence of bad shit happening at the same time, not least falling attendances because, of course, the football was rubbish, stuffed them. And they were a good, on average, 10,000 Below, I mean, they needed 35,000 to break even, apparently. And even if they were breaking even, that wasn't enough because of the money they'd spent on the stand. So I think the summation of this is that I didn't realise, and these two boys who were there, they didn't realise actually just what a parlous situation, what a what a, a delicate situation Chelsea were in. I mean, you know, the club could have gone out of business. And well, there's, an there's an interesting chidge as well. It's quite a brilliant story. It's, it's, it's classy Chelsea, I, I talk about it. I think it might have been in Tim's book or Brian Mears' book. When Chelsea got relegated, they broke out the champagne. Yeah. So Why? they took a load of bottles of champagne down to the dressing room. And, you know, so I don't know how much for a club you know, on the brink of going out of business, you know, spent on the champagne, that relegation game. But there's probably a touch of class about that as well. We may have no money, but we're going to drink ourselves stupid of some high-quality champagne. Well, Wasn't it they were also saying that they felt that this was a turning point because it meant that they could go into a lower division and regroup and win it and come back. That was supposed to be the idea, I'm, I, I, the impression that I got from that. It was a kind of positive, looking for a slightly mad positive out of a negative. 
but uh, and also uh, they probably had some very cheap champagne in the in the Chelsea restaurant. Well, no, no the open Chelsea. <laughs> it wouldn't have been cheap, J.K. Because I, I think again, I forget now. I've read so many books recently on Chelsea that they're all merging into well, one. No, of course, it would have been unbelievably expensive because yeah. he liked having that competition, didn't he? Yes, he had that according to to. Uh, to Tim's book, he had it was Tim, was it? With, yeah, the competition with the, the kobolds, uh, the Ipswich, absolutely. The Ipswich, uh, did um, you like the story was... about the fact that they used to have that? You're right, they used to have a competition to see who could outflash each other in terms of hospitality. Oh. And he turned up to uh, Portman Road with a whole salmon. Oh. Yes. And uh, kobold said, Well, I'm you know, we're not cooking it, you can cook it yourself. So apparently, Brian Mears <laughs> did, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Um, the the main changes, uh, you know, from uh, this season to last season in terms of players was the fact that, you know, Eddie McCready had made quite a big play, uh, as you know, for leaving out some really key players for Chelsea in the in the Spurs uh, match that came towards the end of the season. Uh, but this season saw Chelsea start without John Hollins, which almost seems unconscionable for those that that loved to watch him play for many, many years, but also Steve Kember, who arguably had been bought in, should never have been bought in to replace Alan Hudson, but kind of irked Alan Hudson so much that Huddy left. And of course, the dear, the, the, a guy that I never really knew, never really saw him play, had no idea. All I knew was that, you know, the crowd didn't like him and they called him Mary. But all these games I've been watching on YouTube with, where Peter Houseman features, the more I'm in love with this guy and what a fantastic player he was. Anyway, Kemba Hollins and Houseman are all gone. Um, Peter Bonetti's buggered off to the States because he's had enough. Um, interestingly, Eddie pleads with him to get him back. So it was a very much out with the old and in with the new. And of the new players, the ones that were featuring early on, Mark, were obviously Ray Wilkins, who was made the captain at 18. Uh, his brother Graham, John Sparrow uh, as a left back, uh, Gary Stanley, who, who looks exactly the same today, by the way, a bit greyer, uh, beautiful man. Uh, Ian Britton, the lovely Ian Britton, who I used to love, uh, and Teddy Maybank, who, as Mark will no doubt tell you, is is more of a legend now around the bridge than he probably was at the time. But it was a very new look side, wasn't it? It was kind of the cream of the youth that were beginning to break through, Mark. Very much so. And, and if you do the contrast between the side that started that, that home game of the 74-5 season and the side that started the first home game the following season, ironically against the same opposition, Carlisle United, mm. there was only two players remaining from that side. So it was very much a, a, a really freshen up, you know, new, new look Chelsea side, a new goalkeeper. He played before, but Steve Sherwood was number one. And I think, if I remember right, I think Peter Benetti was given a free transfer at the end yeah. of that season as well. So Peter Benetti actually was, you know, Eddie let him go. Um, um, and I think Benetti only came back because John Phillips, um, Derek Richardson and Steve Sherwood were going to be the goalkeepers. And I think in a pre-season friendly, I think John Phillips broke his leg. So all the photos of the 75-6 season, when you have that photo with all the players at the start of the season the two goalkeepers in the photo are, are Derek Richards and Steve Sherwood because John Phillips was injured and we'll probably talk later as the, the, the early part of the season progressed you're right Eddie brought um, Peter Benetti back because we we needed a goalkeeper to stabilize the team we did indeed and he was I mean, still great with the, the odd great save he looked a bit he looked a bit less sprightly there was always a a bounce about Benetti that I loved he was always on his toes he was always looking for a quick 
quick way of putting uh, getting a defence into attack. And I mentioned this before, the, the beautiful way that he would throw the ball out excellently if somebody gave him an angle. And uh, and he drop-kicked the ball. He had a decent drop-kick. But it was this ability to actually play players in that was so excellent. And his ability to come for crosses. And he was always getting in the... He was, he was injured so often because he was always in, in the... In the mix of it, he was always making a huge effort, always getting there. He was a a, 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 a very different looking kind of goalkeeper from goalkeepers nowadays because he didn't have that bulk. He was just a, he was cat-like. He sprung. He had this little bounce about him all the time. He was, uh, I think there'd been too many, too many games the season before where he'd were still been recovering from injury or not quite up to it. But it was interesting to see when he did get back, he just didn't look out of place at all. I, I found... Um, the, the whole business of, of, of uh, you, you might know more about this, Mark, than me, that, that why, what happened with Kemba Hollins and Hausman? Did he just think, did he think, I want everybody to go? Or was he advised by the board because they were bigger wage earners? Or was it that he himself thought, I've fallen out with these guys? Was there that? Because there, an important... There wasn't even a falling out. So like, what, and Eddie's covered it in the book. And, you know, when, when we talked to him about it, when he was over, you know, he, he spoke to each of them one by one. He thought, if I'm going to make that difficult decision, these are my friends. These are my colleagues, even my teammates. Um, yeah. he, he took that managerial decision. He had faith in the youth because uh, even when Sexton was manager, Eddie was already working with the youngsters in the reserves and the youth team. Yes. Um, so he, he really had high hopes for that side. And I think he said at the start of the season, Give us two years, you know. Give us two years, uh, and I'll I'll get us back in the top flight. He asked for patience, you know, and he said it'd be a season of rebuilding and development. And he was putting his face in the youngsters. There was yeah. no falling out. Right. I think he just took that decision, you know, that he was going to go with them, and so he let he let them go. The strange thing, if if you look back to that team from seventy four five to seventy five six, and Chid, you talked about Peter Houseman. Yeah, you know, I I thought it was strange that Peter Houseman went because. We played him as a left-back the previous season, um, but he was a, a proper left-winger. The very player we brought in, John Sissons, just never played that season. No. He was awful, too. He was yeah, awful. Yeah, but, but why don't we sell John Sissons and keep Peter Houseman? That would have been a far yeah. better thing no. to do. And also, why to Oxford? I know they were in the second division at the side, but why? And only for 40,000, I think he went. You just, hang yeah. on. Surely he could have... He, he could have got, what was he? He was 26. Yeah, I, it was, it, I, I was really bemused about at the yeah. time. I was absolutely bemused about that supporter. I remember thinking, I don't get this. Why he's gone there? Why he's gone for such a small amount of money? And um, and surely other clubs would have come in for for him because he was a a class act when it came to crossing. My goodness me, much it's much his, underrated. Oh, I think. With, with like, well, what people used to get pissed off was he would disappear and look lightweight from time to time. There was a bloke next mm. used to sit next to me um, when I was sitting with my dad who would just an American guy where he wore a New York, New York, um, um, uh, what you call it? The baseball hat. Yeah. Yeah. Base, baseball hat. And, um, and used to shout out, um, come on, Mary. He'd also have a go at the base, at the, uh, at the, uh, the ball boys. Come on, ball boy, get that ball in quicker. And, uh, and it was, and his name is Bruce Buck. Do you look like Larry David? It, but I, they, were, they were so showbiz where my dad sat that uh, uh, they were writers. Well, Bruce, and- Bruce, I think actually, to be fair, and uh, Bruce, if you're listening, I apologise for the cheap shot. Uh, don't, don't, don't sue me, please. Uh, anyway, uh, from what I understand, I think Bruce, Bruce uh, 
I think he because we talked. I've talked to him about this, but I think he turned up in the mid eighties. Actually, he did. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah. This was this guy was there from from sixty uh, seven. I remember him from because you had um, you had John Mills, you had Richard Attenborough, you had uh, Fidel Sassoon. Where Where are you sitting now? You're in the East Stand this now, right? The old East Stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go and used to use my dad's ticket occasionally when he was working, but otherwise I would go with him and he'd walk walk to the office with me, and then I'd go off to either the shed or the, go around the other side. Of course, you could walk around. Whichever side Chelsea were attacking, we would then walk around and then just, just place ourselves in the in the front, always in the front of the, the shed or the front of the uh, of the other end. And you didn't have the, the, the way support in that situation. Well, I think they're in the corner, so you could just sit, you stand to the left of the goal and watch. But um, uh, uh, I digress. No, Houseman was... was, was could be so excellent and he only played him left back because he was trying to play a, a, an advanced form of, of 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 having him as an extra winger wasn't he that was that was his view old um, sexton at the time he was very advanced with these things and it didn't work but no i was such a shame and then hollins ah i just i really i know he want he wanted to have a big change but he's only 28 i know he then but he was then you know he went to Queen's Park rangers and was arsenal fantastic yeah rangers you know I'm, I'm sorry to say i went and watched queen's park rangers occasionally they were brilliant boo. i know boo, 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 oh, boo. Great. loyal I, supporter I jonathan yeah, yeah. no i, I did oh as well no season. not you as well sorry, too brute I, no i grew i grew up in wilson so i was surrounded <laughs> by qpr fans and that's yeah. 75 six season oh. and there were the times where you'd go to chelsea you'd go to fulham you go to brentford and you loved it also you love watching webby i love watching webby as well I loved it. It was like watching Chelsea. Dave Sexton yeah. was manager. Dave yeah. Webb, John Hollins. Yeah. 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 And also some cracking players. That Thomas, who played on the wing, bloody hell, he was good, didn't he? And Stanley Bowles. So bizarrely, Sexton ended up with a side that achieved everything that he should have had at Chelsea. He had not, a bit not, of flair and he not, had some he had some really good working players as well. Uh, not not Stanley Bowles, wank, wank, wank. No, 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 that wasn't no, that was Alan Ball. Alan Ball, wank, wank, wank. Yeah, I, my, one of my fa- listen, one of my favourite Chelsea songs of all time, even though I was never there to really sing it. Uh, and I actually did end up singing this to Super Jock in, in the Butcher's Hook after a very drunken, whatever, the Chelsea annual lunch or whatever. I got absolutely plastered with Beth Wilde and uh, Rick Glanville. And I ended up, ended up, I think, with Martin. Might be Martin Wickham. Can't remember. Anyway, I ended up with the butcher's hook, and Super Jock came in. Everybody had been singing the Tommy Baldwin song because Tommy was in there, and Jock looked a bit upset that nobody was singing. So I started. <laughs> out, I started with a very, very throaty. Super Jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles. La 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 la. And he loved it. His little face lit up. We drag digress as we so often to do. But um, I, I, there's something I, I, I want to ask you. In fact, I'm going to both ask you these questions now. But I just want one thing I want to say before you answer them. But it might give you a chance to kind of mull it over. Really, what I know because I know that you were there then. Number one, what did you think of all of these changes? Eddie coming in, the youth coming in, the old guys going out, and also what were your hopes and fears for the start or at the start of the season? But before you answer that, it's just occurred to me actually something that Mark said a minute ago. Eddie McCready was kind of like a weird amalgam of, of Frank Lampard and Jody Morris, you know, an ex-player, arguably a legend at the club for a long, 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 long time, really loved him. And and yet he'd been in charge of the youth team before he got kind of promoted. So it is like a weird amalgam yeah. of Frank and Jody. And in a sense, completely different circumstances, I grant you, but in a sense, doing the same thing like that Frank and Jody have done this year. Anyway, enough. You can answer 
Uh, Jonathan, do you want to answer the? What yeah, did you yeah. think of the well, changes? I, 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 I was I go back to Kemba Hollins and Hausman. I, I I thought that having those three playing would have would have been perfect a perfect balance with the with the youth coming in a good perfect blend. But he was willing to get rid of them all. I suppose Kemba never worked properly. He'd have excellent games and then disappear. I just like the fact he he was always good at flicking the ball. He made an effort, Kemba, and he he got stuck in and uh, um but um. Uh, as with every season, you start off with 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 as, as aspiration that they're going to be excellent. You never go in thinking, "I think they're going to fall apart." You don't know because you, you would have been about twenty now, wouldn't you? So you'd yeah, have been a bit more yeah, yeah. knowledgeable and on top yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, but um, I was at uni and um, uh, I couldn't get to all the matches, but I could still use my dad's ticket. My dad had a, a seat in the uh, the new East Stand upper um, with all its dreadful cues for the lose. They hardly had any any. Lose working, and that's terribly important for me, even then. And dreadful. I'll have gone about this. This they'd obviously given the refreshments, they'd franchised it out to people who found obscure, I don't know, foreign brands in warehouses. Because you'd go, I've just paid two and six, I don't know what the fuck this is, I don't know what I'm eating here. And they'd always be, always be dreadful, well, much dreadful the same cues. today, cues, well, it's very similar, but dreadful cues for everything, miles and miles. Good thing, fuck, I'm always having to queue for everything because everything was half finished in the stand. But this, but I had a lovely seat with with Jonathan Paris and his fabulous dad, and and uh, and, and um, uh, and Deborah, his, his sister, and uh, and we 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 were near the front, and it was uh, you know, great seat, loved it, loved watching, but it wasn't there all the time, so. Um, was in and out of certain matches, but tried to get back when I could. I wasn't. I was trying to play for the uh, university uh, first eleven, but um, uh, I was up at Hull University, and they they were slightly. Um, Tony Galvin was a contemporary of mine at the uh, at the university. who was um, um, playing for Hull City, I think, at the time. He was a very decent player. And he was studying. Uh, um, Russian, if I remember rightly, and in fact, yes, there's supposed to be stories about Galvin when playing against Russians for Spurs and Russians saying what they were going to be doing, and him just listening and then passing on what uh, what they were about to do at the free kick because nobody realised that he had a degree. Um, but uh, yeah, flitting in and out, always looking at the newspapers. This is why I was saying, never knowing about the fact the club was about was possibly going into receivership. Um, keen to see what was happening, trying to get back, missed out on the midweek games. Um, but saw most of the, uh, uh, I know, in and out. Lots of tried to go, tried to go to the Hull game. I remember um, uh, in the second in the second division, and was um, was told that I couldn't go. I was doing some acting thing with the university. I did a French and drama degree, and um, but yeah, I, you start off thinking, is, I think, is this going to work with the kids? We look forward to it. Is this going to be great? Will this? How's he going to make them play? And unfortunately, um, you'll, you'll see. You, 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 certain players, you. You you really really admire and almost fall in love with. I loved Maybank. I loved the effort that Maybank made. I always loved it. I think he was a bit raw, but he would always fling himself at everything. There was a there was a kind of, and he had a elements of skill. You just felt I don't know that you could certain players you relate to. You know I, I'm I, I'm I'm a great fan of Mickey Thomas. I always will be because of the huge effort that he made, as well as being really skillful with a great shot. And Maybank really made a great effort. I found always I found Ray Wilkins slightly too effete for me he was classy huge heresy i know, I know burn the heretic i know i know completely <laughs> but he, I, i'm slightly i like the effort i found he was silky and he was he played wonderfully in that thing we saw last week against spurs he played wonderfully in the game despite uh, missing a sitter but then uh, just fading out get clattered a bit i thought some of them were awful 
some of them played dreadfully. And then suddenly look at some of the matches that you gave us as references and they're just, let's just think, well, nobody's making, nobody's marked anybody. Nobody's made any effort. What's he doing? So it's difficult. You just, you, and then they play very, very well. They'd have a, a game where you think, oh, it's all come together. So uh, it was, it was the, I think as you've put it, it's the, it was the inconsistency of it, which you expect with youth. You, you've got to accept it with you, but, but when you're, you know, you come in and think this, we want it to work. The, the feeling was we were going to bounce back immediately. That's right. always the case with Chelsea. You always feel that every single time you think, yep, they'll get something together. They'll do something and they'll just come straight back up again and we'll be dealing with it. And it became apparent that this wasn't going to be the case. I mean, in fact, the, the poor Wilkins brother there, the, the own goal he scored. And I think later on in the season, I don't know whether that was a three nil. I can't remember which game it was. Oh, Bolton away. Well, Bolton away. The the old goal, the own goal he scored um, was was a low. I remember thinking in that uh, for some strange reason, I fear I may have been there just because um, uh, I, once again it was it wasn't far away from me when I was at university, and somebody may have said, "Let's go and watch Chelsea this weekend." I'll have gone, "Yeah, good idea." And it was. I remember thinking, "Yeah, I'm I." I'm, uh, I don't wish to remember that ever again, that old go own goal. And of course, I have remembered it because we're doing this programme and it's been dredged <laughs> up. But even, even, even worse, Jonathan, it wasn't just one own goal in that game. There was two own goals. Oh, well, because we, we were winning the game with an Ian Britton goal. And then David Hay, because I, I talked to Graham Wilkins about his own goals and I've got a lot of time for Graham. He's a really lovely guy. And he sort of said, you know, and obviously he thought the world had fallen in when he scored that own goal. But he said the only consolation was he thought David Hayes' own goal was far better than his. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Far better, as in far worse. Yes, great. Far worse, yeah. Far yeah, worse yeah, own yeah, goal. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Mark, what, what you know, what what did you think of the changes at the beginning well, of the season, and what were your hopes and fears? Well, again, well, I don't know about hopes and fears because I think the uniqueness about that season for me is like my first game for Chelsea was in 1971. And that season was the first time I went to football without adult supervision. So there was no adults, there's no parents. So you're going with your friends, going with people you know. Um, and that excitement of going to football, um, because, you know, when it, the rights and wrongs are, is when you're under your parent guard, you probably behave better. You know, so there was an excitement of, you know, a, you know, a strange thing for me, but, you know, no one looking over my shoulder. Uh, and also that side, it was a young side, you know, so they, they were no older than me, some of them, only a few years older than me. Um, and you are in any season, and I'm no different now. I am an eternal optimist. I actually still to this day think Chelsea will win every game we play. So I was just so excited to be going to Chelsea on my own. I was so excited to see that team. And, you know, so excited because I thought we were favourites at the start of the season. I thought we'd romp home and win that league, no problem. Brilliant. OK, well, I mean, the beginning of the season, in a sense, kind of foretold what was about to come. I mean, we we beat Bristol City 1-0. Bristol City, I think, went up the, at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, we beat them at home 1-0. We then drew 1-1 with Norwich. We then lost, unbelievably, to... Uh, a Fulham side with Bobby Moore in it should be said. They were a uh, decent side. That well, they'd been in, yeah, they'd been yeah, in the Viv, FA Cup. Viv Busby, yeah. Uh, I went. Would Mullery. You I went to the semi-final in uh, at Main Road and watched Fulham play. Um, who did they play? Bloody Birmingham hell. City. Birmingham yeah. City. That's right. And yeah. and Mitchell scored. And my mate, it was, I went because one of my schoolmates and was a mad Fulham fan. Got got so elated by it that. Um, that he ran on the pitch, and he was the only person to do so, and from but, the Fulham fans. And funnily enough, got arrested, and we didn't see him again. 
and we don't know what happened to him. I mean, well, obviously, I've seen him subsequently, but uh, but from that period, it was uh, it was it was absolutely weird because we all went back on the train without him. I think well, spent the we, night in the cells, I suppose. We lost we lost to to Fulham, and then we lost to Sunderland. These are both away matches. Now Sunderland went up as champions this uh, this year. Bristol City got promoted too. And West Brom was our next match. We drew nil-nil with them, and they also went up. So we had a pretty tough start as it piled out. And then we had uh, Carlisle at home, and we won that 3-1. And then we uh, had Oxford at home, and we won that 3-1. And it's all looking great. And then we played Luton at the end of August. And we did not win a match, dear children, until until the 18th of October when we played Blackpool at home. So, as I said, that kind of early start, winning a few drawing and losing too many seemed to kind of proliferate the season and as I think we were saying a minute ago I think you, you were saying wasn't it Mark or Jonathan that it was very very inconsistent you know we, we drew with Forrest who you know two years later would be or three years later would be European champions or, or winning uh, winning the league uh, we had an unbeaten run in November and it all looked to be good again and then you know we had only one win in December and that was actually against Sunderland who got promoted and then in the last nine games, we didn't win anything at all. We had a few draws, lost quite a few. I mean, it was up and down like a yo-yo. It must have been doing your sweet a Sweden mark that season. Well, I think it's it's interesting because I was I was looking at sort of the sides that played, and you know, you look at that first side at home, and we talked earlier about how different it was to the '74 side. But if you look at the first fifteen games, um, and we talked about Eddie having a bit of Frank Lampard and Jody Morris in him, he also had a bit of cloudy ran. Ranieri in him because the constant for that first part of the season was Mickey joined John Dempsey with a central defensive partnership. The midfield never changed. It was Ray Wilkins, Ian Britton and Gary Stanley. And then Charlie Cook, Brian Brasson played certain games. But he tinkered with the forward line for that early part of the season constantly. You know, if you look at the first three games, we had three different setups. We had Maybank Hutchinson, Maybank Garner, Maybank Swain. Then he quickly changed it to Garner Swain, then Langley Swain, then Hutchinson Garner, then Langley Garner, then Hutchinson Langley, then you know Maybank Hutchinson. We went three up front, and then I think there was one game where it began to turn in November. We had the three big blokes up front. You had Ian Hutchinson, Teddy Maybank, and Bill Garner. And strangely, with that format, we started to win games. Um, so Eddie really tinkered with our forward line, and I think he said himself, yeah, he was trying to find something that you know fitted. And he tried every possibility. And I think it was only in the latter part. And you mentioned those last eight games. And I think the interesting about those last eight games, even though we didn't win any, I think we began to sow the nucleus of the future 76-77 season. And I think the side that finished the 75-6 season is the one that started the next. And by then, you know, the legend that is Jock Finiston was in the side by then. But at the start of the season, Jock wasn't even in the picture, despite mm. breaking Jimmy Greaves' records for goals. He was out on loan at Cardiff, you know. Why, why did um, uh, Eddie Mac keep Hutchinson in the side if he's the only, the only, oh, and Garner? Why did he carry on with them? I suppose uh, you know their experience probably up front. He probably was you know building on, and hopefully that rawness that Teddy Maybank have because he started with Teddy up front, you know, with yeah. Hutch that would you know rub off on onto him. But he chopped and changed so much in that early part, and I think I think even Eddie said in the book. You know, I think he was struggling to find the person that would score, score the goals. And I think I like I like Ted as a player. There's something about a number nine as a fan, you know, even to this present day. And I think the interesting thing, and if you talk to Ted and you talk to Jock, if you ask who's the better footballer of the two of those, who would you say? 
Who was the second person? Yeah, if Ted and Jock Finiston. Who's Jock the better Finiston, footballer? Yeah, yeah. Who's um, the best? Be- I, I, well, I'd I, say Jock. I think Jock was a better uh, shot. Uh, had better shooting ability. And you'd be right. Hit, hit yeah. the target much more yeah. often and choose his options if you looked at him. Whereas Teddy was much more of a. It was almost like a. He was a. Um, he, he, he would. He'd, he'd scrag you. He was a. He'd get stuck in and go for headers. Some of the headers he scored were were angles, slightly weird angles, but a kind of. Um, he just had a go at stuff. It was his effort. It was his effort. But yeah, Jock. Jock's. Just, uh, once again, I have no idea. You would probably know why was he sold hundred thousand to Sheffield United? Well, but once again, was that was that paying for the for the debt again? Was that what happened? I I I I I don't know, and I think even Jock doesn't know why why he was sold. Maybe. You know, Ken Shaletto wasn't prepared to take a chance on him that Eddie was. But I think Jock is a key part of the 75-76 season. Yeah, yeah. I think only when he comes into the side. Yeah. Um, and the, the number of games Jock played, and you look at other than Ray Wilkins, Ray Wilkins was top scorer that year. But all those forwards that Eddie tinkered with, Teddy, Ian Hutchinson, Bill Garner, they all got about five goals each yeah. throughout the whole of the season. Jock came in for the last eight games and got five goals in eight games. Yeah, and I, I think Eddie found his goal scorer, but it took him the whole season to discover that. One of those goals was against Southampton towards the end of the season. We were talking about this before we went on air, and it was a cracking goal. Great header. Proper, oh, proper really, striker's yeah, header. Re- really good header, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's but, a good player, Jock. I, no, that's, that's the thing. That's the point I was asking about, you know, if you ask who's the better footballer. You know, I've asked Jock and Teddy the same question, and they both say Teddy was the better footballer, the better player. Jock was the better goal scorer. Yeah. He just had something about him in the penalty area. He could yeah. sniff out a goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's what you want, really. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting, actually. I mean, Jonathan, you know, Mark's been very eloquent there in, in terms of some of the players. You know, who stood out for you? Who impressed? Who, who disappointed over, over the course of the season? I was always disappointed with David Hay, um, who clearly had a kind of, there was a slinkiness to him that you thought, he should be playing in a better side, but he's not... I suspect he thought that too. Yeah, he did. I think he did. I think he thought he'd come in to be in the first division. But it was interesting. In the, um, he, he was clearly very skillful. I was always bemused as to why he ended up playing centre half because he was a terrific midfield player for Scotland. I just think that the, the he never quite ever came back to. Um, the level we expected of him. But you could see he, his ability with crosses and his ability with passes. He just seemed to be caught on the ball. My big feeling with them for the whole of the season was this this inability to, this constant giving the ball away. I mean, I mean, Charlie Cook played out of his skin, actually. That's another person we did, he didn't get rid of. Was that because they were big mates? Um, or was it that Charlie... Cookie did... had been brilliant the season before, yeah, he was, if you remember. He was brilliant, yeah, absolutely. And I think as we said, we said in Tim's book, he said he said I trained a bit harder. And you think, well, perhaps he was led astray a little bit in the mm. in the seasons before. But yeah, when he when he um, he was somebody who you relied on for, and he played him as a uh, as in midfield much more. He played with war number four, didn't he? A lot, um, Charlie. I remember being slightly bemused by the fact that he started off as eleven and then got this four. But he was. Uh, um, it, 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 but it, even he gave that. It's this giving the ball away. I think that seems to single. This kind of team out from a team that you think is going to get promoted is giving the ball away when you're attacking, and and which was something we, we despair of nowadays. In particular, it happens so much less playing uh, at the top of the Premier League. But when you then see this same thing happening and teams 
who have been under the cosh, um, just managing to get up the other end and get a shot and probably score from it. You then despair at the fact that this is just being each week. This appears to be one of their uh, um, their errors. Um, Kenny Swain was always one of my favourite players, not least because he had a, a bizarre backside that we always felt that Branner was the next man with the same shaped ass to play for Chelsea. Um, but uh, Lynn, who I sit next to, would know more about that as well because she she always he was a good him. player, J.K. Well, Kenny Swain was. Oh, I thought I, mm. I really was fond of him. I was really fond of him. You could tell that he was he was a really really class act actually. Um, Ended up winning a, a European Cup medal with Villa, didn't he? Indeed, indeed he did. And um, um, I'm trying to think who else I liked. Uh, I was never a great fan of, of of Droy, I have to say, because of his inconsistency. He was a bit slow and seemed to get turned easily. I was disappointed that um, that Dempsey was on his way out because he'd been so terrific in the uh, the seventy seventy one season. And um, but I think he got injured as well. Um, uh, Ray Wilkins n- never quite did it for me. It was always a slight fear, th- feeling of uh, dear, he's not quite up with it. Um, Ian Britton, I think I said last week, uh, always made a great effort, but was what was never never quite good enough um and um i'm trying to think who else and ronnie harris was ronnie harris you just felt that perhaps he'd found his level playing in the the second division he didn't seem to be as filthy <laughs> you can tell him that and, and uh yeah um i'm trying to think who, who uh, name me a name me anybody well else. okay we also had this year we had steve wicks coming into the side yeah, yeah I, he was very raw very, and gary very stanley raw. gary stanley played 32 games in the season yeah you always want well he always had a, he had a fantastic shot. You wanted him to shoot more. That's what I remember about him because he scored some great goals, but he he didn't shoot enough for me. Um, uh, but no, it was it was it was the inconsistency. It was the fact that they were youth, so you appreciated that. It was the fact that they hadn't bounced back. But once again, once um, they at the end of the season, uh, I think Eddie Mac made a statement, didn't he? About I've I've now got the side. I think that can get back. You get back into the first division. You had faith the following season something would happen. There's always this, uh, I'm exactly the same as Mark, there's always this optimism at the beginning of a season. You think the team are going to do well for whatever reason. You all normally hope it's because they made several interesting signings. So, of course, if it was, you know, when it was uh, um, Damien Duff and uh, all that lot, you, you uh, and Adrian Mutu, you, you knew something was going to happen. In this instance, there were no big signings, but you thought he's got the youth. Um, they occasionally played really well. Let's hope he can maintain the consistency. Excellent. Right. Well, in uh, part three, uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that the attendance is fell like a stone. Uh, but the away support um, was much lauded, actually, and it'd be worth talking about that. Uh, also, the biggest match of the season, Palace in the Cup. Uh, I will say no more about it than that. Uh, I want to talk about Ray Wilkins, because unlike Jonathan, I thought the man is a god. Uh, yeah. But... But as 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 it as does Mark, you know, we will burn. We will have a sacrificial burning of the heretic in part three. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, it's a, probably a really good juncture to 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 give the old Chelsea specials a plug, which are the whole range of interviews that me and Martin King did and then put up on Podbean as podcast because they feature, you know, various players from this era. Not enough from this particular era, it has to be said. Uh, but nevertheless, well worth a listen. So just to give you an idea, we've got Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tabling, Ron Chopper-Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, 
and Paul Canaville, uh, as well as Danny Harkins, would you believe? So they're they're well worth a listen. These guys absolutely, you know, gave it up for me and Martin, and 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 really, you know, open open their soul and what it was like to play for Chelsea to us, which is great. So there we go. I commend them to you. ChelseaSpecial.podbean.com. There's a small charge of two ninety nine for each podcast to cover the cost of the production we were paying the players to to take part uh, so subscribe to podbean go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then when you get to the the main page you just uh, scroll down uh, any one of the interviews you want you click on buy single episode now that directs you to the payment wall and then you can download it so there you go uh, but there's also a website chelseaspecial.com and of course we're on twitter at chelsea underscore special so give us a follow and we're on facebook as the chelsea special we'll be back for part three in a second Cheech. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Cheech, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge, uh, and I've got the wonderful Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera. And uh, the equally wonderful, but arguably more knowledgeable, Mark Meehan. Hello. Uh, and, I, and I say that not just to wind Jonathan up, because uh, Mark... I agree, Mark, I agree. Yeah, he has. He's got, Mark's got... An, I mean, if you, if you follow Mark on Twitter, which actually we should I should say now, Mark, what's your Twitter handle? At Eddie Mac? Eddie Mac's Blue and White Army, B-A-W-A. Eddie Mac B A W A. If you follow Mark on Twitter, you know whenever there's a question asked about Chelsea, Mark will come back with chapter and verse and what happened. I mean, I always used to think that Kelvin Barker was the uh, most knowledgeable person in the world, particularly on 1980s 
uh, decade of Chelsea. But I think Mark Mark is 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 fast becoming uh, you know certainly in the seventies. But Mark comes out with stuff from articles at the Chelsea Independent. It's just it, Mark, you are an engaging follow on Twitter. I'll leave it at that. But uh, also, of course, uh, one of the main reasons uh, we've got you on tonight, of course, is because this is all about uh, Eddie Max Blue and White Army. And of course, you authored the definitive book of this period of Chelsea, Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac. Uh, and, I, and one of the things I love about your book is the fact that it doesn't say who wrote it. You're just, basically, the book is written by Eddie Max Blue and White Army. But I, I can definitely reveal that you are one of the authors, as was Neil Smith. Mark Worrell's fingerprints are over this because I could tell with some of the writing. Yep. Who else? Uh, there's a couple of, there's a couple of people. It, it was a team effort. There was it five, was, wasn't it? There was five of us that put that book together. Yeah, a labour of love. I've got to say, DJ must have been one of them. He was indeed. And Kelvin. And Kelvin. Yes, I got f- house, house. Uh, got I got full, all five. You've, you've got a full <laughs> house. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, it is brilliant. Mark, uh, you know, Mark, where can you get this book? I mean, actually, a few people have uh, posted on Mixler saying thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for having Mark on. Thanks, Mark. It's brilliant, and and I really enjoyed the book. I'm really delighted that Marco's put it up uh, for free as a download uh, in the last couple of weeks. So you're getting quite a lot of love for it. But where, where can people get it in the normal course of events? Uh, the best way is to go to Gate 17 Books. Um, so if you Google Gate 17 Books, you can pick up Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac there. But you can also pick up a, a number of other Chelsea-related books by some other wonderful authors you know, on that website or through the usual place like Amazon.co.uk. There you go. Good stuff, Mark. Um, and uh, Paul Crowder, the lovely Paul Crowder, who I'm sure Mark will know, uh, has said, what's the bloody Twitter handle again? It's at Eddie Mac B-A-W-A, Paul. At Eddie Mac B-A-W-A. Right, now, back on with the 1975-76 season. And one of the one things we mentioned earlier on about the, the parlous state of the club's finances uh, in that period of the club's history. Um, and one thing that they needed was, uh, you know, particularly as they just built the East Stand, which has now been open for, you know, it was open for the 74 75 season they really needed it full they really needed the ground full and what they found uh was that the ground was very unfull mark i mean you you i think you you, you know you said that many i'd say about average of twenty thousand, wasn't it really um i i never went in those days uh i the first game i went to was in the mid 80s when we had about fifty thousand in there for a united game and it was rammed i i couldn't comprehend what the ground would have been like then with only 20,000 people in it. What was it like, Mark? Uh, it, it, and it varied because, um, you know, it, it was even worse than 20,000. Like, Jonathan made reference to a whole City game. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, we'll talk about Crystal Palace later, but the whole City game was the game after we'd lost to Crystal Palace. There was 10,000 people there. And at, at the time, you know, it was the lowest gate for Chelsea for, for many a year, other than when they played Burnley in 74 in the middle of a three-day week. So... You know, it's, you know, the shed was always busy, but you, you look to the right, and even now I call it the new East Stand, and it was the new East Stand then. How often that stand you know, was rarely full. And ITV were always a bit naughty as well. But whenever they covered us on the big match, uh, and God rest his soul, Brian Moore, his opening intro always seemed to be the camera facing on to the East Stand and narrative about how few people there and how difficult that is that is for Chelsea. And then the other thing as well is that was, I know we're going to talk about the way following. We didn't get many away fans to Stamford Bridge back then either. You know, so other than when we played a big team. So 
you know, if you played Sunderland, they'd bring some fans. But if you're playing Oxford or Bristol, yeah, maybe Bristol City brought some. Playing Oxford or Carlisle, even we played Bolton. I remember playing Bolton before Christmas, and there was no Bolton fans there. So you know, nowadays, yeah, we have three thousand away fans at Sanford Bridge. So that all, little, that all contributed. Little pocket mark. I always felt there were about ten or fifteen of them. Just below, they got lost below the got lost, below the uh, halftime scoreboard. Yeah, they come to see the whippets being raced, yeah. Yeah. and it was because you could go that end, as I said, and the, the old North Stand wasn't being. You couldn't sit in the North Stand then. I think it was because then out of the following season, of course, it was demolished and it just sat there like a kind of strange, you know, deflated dinosaur. Um, but you could then just stand in the court. You didn't actually have any interaction with the with the uh, the opposition fans you didn't there didn't didn't appear to be much running after them if there were only 10 of them and they were uh, uh, and and they were uh, they they made the effort to come down from Bolton there wasn't much um, goading of them and 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 even and like you know even talk about the Oxford game and uh, you know every time the opposition scored where they scored first at Oxford they scored when we were 3-0 you had that you're going to get your fucking you know, kick, kicked in sorry yeah, kicked in yeah Okay. I tell you what, actually, Mark, on that point, because I mean, you know, what what the people, the punters listening probably won't know is that in the course of you know me putting the script and stuff together, I go through YouTube assiduously and pick out every match from this season. And by the way, people, it's it, you know I don't exactly spend a huge amount of time doing this, so it's not exactly forensic. Just go into Google or YouTube and put in Chelsea seventy five seventy six, and you will come up with the exact same matches that I've come up. And I have to say, it's been a delight watching old match of the day clips of John Motson commentating and old big match uh, games with uh, with Brian Moore commentating. But the one thing I've, as always, actually, Mark, I've been drawn to is is the chanting. Yeah. And, and I'm particularly enamoured of the minute um, any time uh, uh, an opposition player kicks a lump out of a Chelsea player, Chelsea aggro, Chelsea aggro. Uh, or you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. And there's, there's or, a third one as well, because obviously uh, when the refereeing decisions went against us, long before who's the, in the black, there was, and it's, your, you know, your old lady is an oar. <laughs> is an oar. <laughs> an oar. Yeah. That's how yeah. it's going. Yeah. It wasn't pronounced even correctly. No, no. Yeah. She was a rower, I think they were trying to say. <laughs> exactly. She, you, row, you row for Thames down yeah. at Putney. Yeah, it was always handy when we played away at Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> your whole team are oars, Your whole mate. team are oars. <laughs> but the, but, and there was a lovely one, actually. Um, I forget the match now. Uh, actually, it was the Southampton match where Gary Locke, got uh, absolutely poleaxed and went off on a stretcher. And they had a lovely Gary Locke chant. There were, there seemed to be a lot more... Um, I don't know, maybe there weren't more, but there were some really lovely player chants. It was a very different time. I picked up some info, Jonathan, actually, on, on the average attendances. And uh, the average attendance throughout the season was 8,896. The highest league attendance was 29,011. And the lowest was... Uh, ten thousand two hundred fifty-four, which was the whole game, as you were saying. Um, I'm tempted to say that you know this is all down to the fact that Chelsea were in Division Two. That as ever, as always, something we may find out in the future as well. Actually, we've always attracted a fairly transient uh, supporter base because of the location, because of the flashiness of the club. So basically, our hardcore support, I think, has always been a lot less than we would like to think. 
But that would be a bit unfair because this was a time of falling attendances as well and an absolutely and an economy that was in the toilet. So there wasn't a lot of money around. So there were a lot of other facts involved, weren't there? Oh, d- definitely. The, you, people had just come out the three-day week. You know, so people picked and choose their games. So if you, if you see the games where we did well, it's the bigger teams. As, well, I think that's it, the, as that's as the shown by um, by uh, the Palace game, of course. In the we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, keep the powder dry. Keep know, the powder I know, dry. We're getting there. I was there. <laughs> I was you there. Were... I remember. I but J.K., well. I mean, you, you know, you were a little bit older than Mark in those times, so you might have been a bit more aware of the economics about what was going on. No, so what? what... No, no, no. Way. You were, you were doing French and drama, yeah, so I was clearly French not. Drama at university. I was being at the pumps. <laughs> <laughs> and I was you working in the greengrocers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I can't wait to the season where uh, Jonathan makes his debut as uh, in Mr. Pitkins and therefore becomes a legend. But uh, anyway, we digress. You know, was it was it because the the football we were seeing was rubbish? Because I mean, you know, we look back at I look it, back. Jid, you know, it contributes. Yeah, it does contribute. If the team are playing badly, people and people have got difficulty with they want to spend their money. They won't go. If the, it, it, it's just the way it works, you know, and it, they were they were very inconsistent and you just uh, some of it was they they had some terrible performances. That was the thing. It wasn't it, it, it was turgid and just you thought and the, oh, it, they just seemed to give up, not have any effort. And play, fans can't stand that. They, I'm afraid they vote with their feet that way. You, they, they, if they don't see the effort going in and they can't see and the heads go down, they, they, they're it, it takes a really, really strong fan to to be consistent, particularly if you haven't got a season ticket. You know, it, uh, somebody just goes onto the terraces, they're going to go, well, I'm afraid to say they'll go, I'll watch Fulham. I'll go and watch Rangers. These were the two other alternative teams at the time. I mean, I, I, you, you cut me short earlier, but Fulham had, had Best and Moore playing for them. They had... They had um, Bar- Alan Mullery. Um, um, Mullery, yeah. Yeah, that's, and they were, they were very consistent at the time. And... Um, and, Ra- and Rangers were on the up and up, so yeah. you can see the uh, the attraction. Well, Ra- Rangers came second this season, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. No, wasn't it following season? Was it they were second? No, it was this season. This, was it this season? Oh, right, right, right. By about a point to Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. They, Liverpool, yeah, they they were behind, weren't they? Liverpool in the final game of the season, and then they, yeah. they came back to win. Do so, you know what? I, I, I just about sorry to butt in, John. I remember that as a kid. Because I remember, I mean, the BBC's tongue was so far up QPR's arse. They used loo roll to clean their teeth. I mean, basically, they were next door, weren't they? Of course, Loftus yeah. Rose right next to the BBC. So they would like have people would like be kind of phoning in on the latest of what was happening on QPR. And I remember that last day of the season really, really well because QPR should have won the league that year, but they were, as you say, they were pit by Liverpool. We digress, and I'm very but sorry to also, cut across you. Talked about loo roll. Of course, the thing to remember is the mass, the mass oh, yes, of loo yes, roll that was everywhere. Yes. As well, yes, that yes, the major thing to be thrown from the shed. It's enough to make you faint in this day and age. That waste of loo roll, but look, but yeah, people, people would, yes, that and probably selling criminal coronavirus, Sorry, um, coronavirus, corona beer, I should say. But no, it was the advantage, bizarrely, of the dog track still being there is you could actually lob uh, a loo roll quite a long way if it had its tail to it because and it would stay there for the whole of the game that's what was yeah, so bizarre yeah. about it was you get people thinking i see if i can beat him or if i can i can throw this one for these trails of loo roll going out from the shed into as near, near as possible to the goal 
Anyway, so I, I think it's interesting about the, the, the nature of our, our home support. I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, it's it's sold to people like me who weren't around then as, oh, well, you know, it was great. It was uh, the boys of Blue in Division 2. We won't be here for long. And, you know, we had all the young players playing and that, that's why we like seeing the youth now because it reminds us of that. I mean, if you were at the Eddie Mac do that I was on, the launch do, it was, it was the most wonderful amount of blue tinted nostalgia you're ever likely to see but there was never any of this what it was actually really shit <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm as a youngster i feel very confused mark no but i, I think sorry one sec to interrupt sorry mark i, I think it was because well, now you're confusing because, me i said i said mark i, know, I, I said I, jake I, earlier I, on I, and mark apologize. spoke and now I it's like mark and you're apologize. but i what am i, I gonna think, do but no but part of the the, the fact that it's because the following season was so much better and it was this yeah season, i think so this season was this so well that's what that's what uh, eddie max remembered but and also because yeah. he said I want two seasons. So yeah. the very fact that that was the case in the second season. And also, he was very loved as a player. The support really loved him. He'd been a yeah. wonderful player for Chelsea yeah. from, uh, yeah. from well, 63 he came under Doherty, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He'd been yeah. so good that there was this feeling for him as well, you know. So. I think that's fair, actually, that really what we're talking about with the, the very blue-tinted nostalgia here is, is, the, is the next season, which we'll get on to next week. Mark, I wanted to ask you, I know you're probably a little, well, a little bit younger than JK, but from what I understand, um, and this has been handed down to me by the likes of Neil Smith and, and my mate Psycho Phil, who, funnily enough, used to go to the games together quite a lot, Chelsea's away support was very different from the home support, and by this time, it's it's gathering quite a reputation. I think not just for the violence it meted out, but also for the the, the huge numbers that would go. I mean, do you remember much about that? Do you know much about that? No, it, it was more because I said at thirteen, I'd, I'd started going, so I was going to home games. I didn't start going away till the following season, the season after. But you know, you, you hear and you hear you hear the stories afterwards, and, and even start with the first away game. And I got told sort of like you know the, the story where they played Sunderland the first away game of the season, take a huge following up there, uh, and this is where the legend of Stephen Hickmock almost grew, um, because the way the away end at Roker Park was split in two, and apparently I think Stephen Hickmock stood up on a crash barrier and basically said, "We are superior." <laughs> yeah, we are superior to them. Look at how they dress. Look how they look. Look at how they talk. We're They're all wearing donkey jackets. <laughs> exactly. We are Chelsea. And I think there's also a bit, um, the previous season, Manchester United had rampaged through the second division on and off the pitch. You know, so they, they went through and won back promotion. But obviously, you saw that you know, on the news constantly, Manchester United bringing huge away followings. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, Chelsea sort of like followed in Manchester United path in the second division, but there were some crazy away followings we brought. I, I read like just researching this, we played York City away the last game of the season. No, I don't think we did, but this is what the journalist said. He said the nine thousand Chelsea fans, and you sort of think we brought nine thousand to York. You know, it might have been a, a six upside down maybe, but if we brought nine thousand to York back then, that is phenomenal away support. Yeah. And even looking at the, the Fulham game, you know, uh, that was on the sort of games we watched, you know, huge following at Fulham that equaled the 83-84 game when we probably brought about 12,000 to, to Fulham. So it was the nucleus of our way support for future years. It really started in that season. And of course, you think... weren't restricted there, were you, either by the number of, uh, they wouldn't say only a certain number of fans could get in. If you got in, you paid at the turnstile and you went Pay on the, the day. position. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I think Mark's point about yeah, United is... Like, um, sorry, away, Mark. Away tickets didn't come to later seasons. Yeah. No. Away, yeah, They started making games um, all ticket away from home. Uh, I think after Chelsea fans misbehaved at Charlton the following season. Yeah. But up until then, you can pay on the door. Yeah. And thousands I think, used to. I think Mark's point about United the previous season is very, very pertinent because, you know, Chelsea were one of the you know, most well-known, flashier sides in the country at the time. It was a real; They were a real glamour side, despite the fact that they'd been rubbish for the last few seasons. So they were a big draw. And, uh, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was first going and, and in later years when I got to know the likes of Smithy and Phil, you know, the stories that they would tell about the fact that, in a way, you know, I mean, we were one of the best supported sides in the country, certainly away from home. Man United, I think, were, were top dogs, but we, we were a very close second. But it was also, we were going to all these kind of strange little places we hadn't been for years and years and years. I mean, or ever, in the case of York, for example. Orient, I know we'd seen been there in the Cup. Bristol City, we hadn't played for a while. All these kind of teams. So we were also a bit of a target, weren't we, Mark? So... In a sense, it wasn't all about. Well, obviously Chelsea had the biggest firms and the big were the biggest thugs around. There was a sense of you know uh, safety in numbers. I think was what was was happening because going out to these kind of outposts of English football, Chelsea, everybody wanted to take them on. Yep, certainly. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know a friend of mine went down to the Plymouth game, so that's the first time he went down to Plymouth. You know, that was in the latter part of the season. And describing that welcoming committee of Plymouth Argyle fans, so you were reassured when you were getting off the special, you know that there was four or five hundred you know, other Chelsea fans with you, because there was often in these towns a reception committee waiting for you. I, I funnily enough, I met a bloke on my, I think it was a holiday in the Caribbean, getting on over twenty years ago now. A lovely bloke actually, and. He was a big Plymouth Argyle fan, and he talked to me about those those days when Chelsea came down there. And you know, he was a bit naughty; he'd been in a few of their firms. And uh, but he, I, I mean, I've never been involved in anything like that. God forbid. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But his his respect for me was automatic based on his encounters with Chelsea fans from those days, which was quite <laughs> ironic. But anyway, we digress. But um, I, think, I think the other thing I would add, Chidge, is also you talked about our average gate for that season being about 18,000 at home. Yeah. You know, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about nine games that season away from home where Chelsea gave that team their biggest crowd of the season. Yeah, yeah. But there so you we, go. We, we there broke go. their attendance records that season, you know, for half our away games. Yeah, there you go. All right, now there was one game uh, which kind of was rather redolent of the old days. This is something I was I was actually watching this on YouTube uh, when Mark phoned me up earlier on, uh, and this was uh, when we drew <coughs> Crystal Palace. I think it was the what the fifth round of the FA Cup. Yep. So the one before the quarterfinals, um, and uh, we had fifty five thousand in there, and it was redolent of the old days. Put this into a bit of context for you people. Crystal Palace were in the third division. Uh, but they were managed by the very flamboyant Malcolm Allison, who had recently been the, uh, the the Man City manager. It almost won them the title, but kind of screwed up by buying buying Rodney Marsh. Uh, and he was larger than life. He used to he he, he lived on a diet of uh, cigars and champagne, nothing else. He didn't eat anything else or drink anything else, only champagne. And he smoked big fat cigars. And he had a big fur coat and a fedora hat, a big white fedora or cream fedora hat. Uh, and of course, his assistant manager was Terry Venables, ex of Chelsea. Um, 
And he'd just beat his third division side had just beaten the mighty Leeds United in the round previous two hours. And he'd had this the media loved him and, and they were blowing smoke up his arse. So Malcolm would always go around at the stadium and make a prediction of the score. Palace would always win, of course. And he did the same thing when Palace came to Stamford Bridge. I would imagine, although I wasn't there, and I'll ask these chaps in a minute, that we were heavily fancied to beat them. Allison does a 3-2 score prediction, but the two is directed as a two fingers to the shed end. You can imagine that that went down like a couple cold sick. Um, By the end of the first half, Chelsea find themselves 2-0 behind. Uh, Peter Taylor involved in both the goals. One's an excellent shot from outside the box. The other was an assist, which I think hit the bar and then went in, or maybe I'm thinking of another game. But... It was, it hit the bar, yeah. And then uh, was it, was it <coughs> Nicky Chatton scored? scored yeah. That's right, it did, didn't yeah. it? It did, yeah. it did, didn't it? Uh, it looked like it had gone in anyway, actually, when, yeah. on the thing well, I, I was watching. All the Chelsea players stopped as a consequence. They thought it had yeah. gone in. So we're 2-0 down. Uh, we're going out of the cup. I'm going to let you two pick it up. Jonathan, um, I would, as I said, I'd imagine that Chelsea were favourites to win this by a country mile, even though you know we were in the second my, division. My memory of the of the match was that we were sort of all over them, really, and I think they we were, they, and I think we once again just gave the ball away, and uh, um, and they just caught on the break, counter attacked, and Taylor was a class apart. You know, he eventually played for England. He was uh, he was completely brilliant, and. Um, um, just eased past players. He, funny enough, he, he could ease past players in a way that Charlie Cook used to be able to do it. He had a very similar kind of swagger and uh, and then a very accurate shot. So, um, you know, what more would you want than he, uh, his, um, his, uh, his, his, both the second goal that, that he scored was just terrific, but that was from a breakaway. So um, there was always the feeling that you might, Chelsea might come back in. I remember there being a, a, a great amount of um, pressure in the second half, and uh, and we and we scored. Who scored the Who scored their goal? Wilkins, Wilkins. great goal. That's right, that's right. Yeah, Wilkins, who I was so rude about before. That's um, right. He, yeah. but he, Captain leader legend, he mate. Could, uh, he could pull it out of the bag occasionally. Yeah, and yeah. then of course Steve Wick scored with a header, and and, the, and, the, and his celebration looked like he won the World he, Cup. Well, it was brilliant. That, well, exactly what I was about to say. I remember, remember being there with him and thinking. That's slightly over the top, isn't it? <laughs> oh well, never mind. Come on, come on, please. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, we should have won it. But then, of course, uh, another com- a wonderful piece of brilliance from Taylor. It was actually free a, kick. It was a very clever free kick because he uh, somebody did a kind of fake run at it, and everybody sort of went. Oh, and then all he did was just just place it beautifully into the corner. He was. Uh, I mean it. You know, he was absolutely a class act, Taylor. You could tell there was what on earth he was doing playing for them uh, was was beyond me. But he uh, he he was uh, really terrific, terrific player. Mark, what what are your memories of that match? I mean, I, I I wasn't there, but watching it again today, I can't believe how fantastic the atmosphere really was. It was proper, wasn't it? I, oh. I think my, my memory of the match it was at that point it was the biggest crowd I'd ever been in at Stamford Bridge. Like yeah. the two preceding home games, we played West Brom at home. And the game before that, we played Oldham at home. So there were two games before. And there was about 15,000 for both those games. And we went from 15,000 where you could walk up, you know, pay your 35 pence and go straight in. And Brian Mears, to his credit, really pushed this game. From the moment we beat um, York City in the previous round, Brian Mears was pushing this game saying, we can get 50,000. We can get, it'll be just like the old days. And he was right. You know, all the seats were sold out. So you had to get there early to get in the shed. And, like, you know, we got there about half past one. And it's like the main entrance is now. 
And I'd never seen a crowd like that ever before. Never seen. And it was scary. It was uh, 13 years of age trying to get in. It took about half an hour, 45 minutes of fighting your way through. They had police officers across the concourse and they were only letting two or three people at a time. People were getting crushed. You in the shed? Yeah, this is trying to get into the shed end. Then I, I then I got in, and I, you make the point about Malcolm Allison. I literally got in at about quarter past two to see Allison coming round doing the three two. I remember that so well. All the names they, they they called it, but it was just a brilliant game. Yeah, we played so that was probably the best we played that season. That, yeah, we were up and down in so many games, and um, I think I read the press report, and I can't remember which journalist said Peter Taylor only had four touches in that game. You know, Chelsea did the homework on Taylor and Ron Harrison, Gary Locke, when he moved from wing to wing, did a really good job, except for four occasions. And on three of those occasions, they got a goal from it. You know, we played so well. When it got to 2-2, the noise in Stamford Bridge when Steve Wicks equalised. It was phenomenal, wasn't it? You know, yeah. 50,000 people in the bridge, the, the noise it was making. And you thought at that point, there was 15 minutes ago, there was only one team left in the game and we were going to win. And then a couple of minutes later... Peter Taylor takes that free kick. It's a brilliant goal. And it just knocked the stuffing out of Chelsea and knocked the stuffing out of the ground. You know, um, it was it was a great game to watch, but it also, you know, it's it's how how we how we lost that day. Real, real tragedy. Because, you know, if we'd gone past Palace, we'd have had, I think, Sunderland the next round. Yeah. Yeah. Who Winnable. knows? Who knows? In yeah. Southampton. And Southampton in the semi-final. And you'd have been there, Chidge. Well, yeah, but probably, probably not in the shed end as I ended up being. <laughs> well, no, but probably, not in, probably not at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, well, true. indeed, not it's yeah, true. yeah, but have been Highbury, I expect, in those yeah. days, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, but there you go. It was amazing watching that back on YouTube. I have to say. Now, um, before we kind of kind of wrap this up with a bit of a summary of what we thought, I, I think you know, just for Jonathan's benefit, really, I, yeah, Mark and I are going to eulogise Sir Butch of Ray Wilkins. <clears throat> because, you know, he's 18 years old. He comes into the side 18 years old. He's made captain by Eddie in a very difficult match the preceding season. This season, you want to get an idea of how important he was to a side. And this is as an 18-stroke 19-year-old. Actually, the same age, even younger than you were then, Jonathan. That's how young he was. No, I was a very For- young 20, Chid. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were doing French and uh, drama, and as you, by your own admission, was a ponce, yeah. not not a professional football no, no, player. No, not a ponce. I was poncing about. I was- oh, you were poncing about. Okay, just wanted to clarify yeah, that. I would, would, hate, would hate for, I would hate to ha- have a lawsuit from you later. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Ray is our leading appearance maker <clears throat> with 47. He's our top goal scorer with 12. And, and I think, you know, the standout player of the season, Mark, the question I have really is, was this season the making of him, do you think? It certainly was the beginning of, you know, the legend that is Ray Wilkins. Um, uh, obviously, the 76-7 season, I think it was helped by the formation Eddie Mack plays the following season. But that season, he was, you know, for 18 years of age, a remarkable player. And I think there's some sort of key moments in there. Um, he misses three penalties, you know, during the course of the season. One Uh, of the reasons I was so fed up with him, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but, you know, he he misses, but each time he misses, he comes back and and takes a penalty. And there was a run where he'd taken penalties. Um, So he had the courage to do that 18 where other people who might have missed a penalty might not take another penalty again. The Blackburn home game, last part of the season, jocks in the side, we beat Blackburn 3-1. Ray scores, I think, two of the goals from memory. And Eddie McCready takes him off. 
So he substitutes him. Uh, and I think it's one of the few times in Ray's career he was ever substituted. And he goes in after the game to see Eddie McCready, to sort of, you know, challenge Eddie McCready why he got substituted, because he was playing well, he got the man of the match, you know, and Chelsea were winning. And Eddie McCready said, did you hear the crowd cheering your name when I took you off at 10 minutes to go? That's why I substituted you. He was just telling Ray, you know, because I think Ray lacked a bit of confidence at times, you know, you know, you know, he took all that responsibility on and there was a manager doing a marvellous thing for him and said, they love you here, you know, and that just, that little gesture, I think, meant, meant the world to, to Ray, you know. And I, again, you know, the other thing is he, he was our top scorer. He got some good yeah. goals that season. And when I interviewed him for the book, which is probably, and all the players I interviewed was the one interview I was looking forward to doing. And, you know, they, they say, never, never meet your idols. Oh, I was so glad mm-hmm. I met that man. Okay. Now, that afternoon I spent in his company was just a terrific way to spend two hours. And I asked him what was the best goal, because he scored lots of goals for us. And his best goal that season was Plymouth Argyle at home. We drew 2-2. He scored a diving header against Plymouth Argyle. You know, Ray Wilkins didn't get many goals with his head. And he said in all of his time playing for Chelsea, and you think of the goals he scored, the Palace goal, yeah. the Sheffield United goal the following season, the Hereford United goal. That goal, you know, Plymouth Argyle was the best goal he ever scored for Chelsea. He was a tremendous player. Yeah. And at 13 years of age, I saw Ozzy play for us only a couple of times. He was my idol that season. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, he became mine, Mark, you know, the following season and the one after that really vicariously through watching the big match, you know. And like you, I very luckily got to meet him um, and uh, one of the nicest people you would have ever met in football. There's, there's also guy. Chidge, a, a bit of humility about Ray. I think earlier yeah. in the season, he was interviewed by Brian Moore Yeah, uh, on, on the big match. I can't remember, yeah. was it? Was it the Carlisle United? Yeah, uh, And I think he was so. just so modest, you know. Brian Moore, was tr- Brian Moore was trying to get some information out of him and what he did. And he sort of said, like, oh, do you go out, you know, with your brother Graham? They said, oh, I'll occasionally go out, you know, go play snooker. And well, are you going out with him tonight or something? And I think he says, oh, no, Graham's courting. Yeah, it was just it's such a beautiful term. Graham's courting. He's got a girlfriend. <laughs> There was a lovely bit in that where Brian Moore says, so anyway, is it, is it Ray or is it Butch? And, and, and he, it, Ray kind of sits there wistfully, looks at him, he says, I, th- I think Ray will do, Brian. Yes. <laughs> this is an 18-year-old kid. It's just amazing. Um, just look, just to summarise all of this, uh, I mean, one point we haven't really talked about, Ian Hutchinson, it was his swan song, and what an amazing player he was for Chelsea in, in, in many senses. Sad seem go. We'd been deprived so much of, of, of him at his best. Uh, it was also, because we finished 11th that season, uh, we had that horrible run at the end, as we were talking about earlier, and that was our lowest finish in our history at that point. But in amongst these things, chaps, um, you know, could you see, Jonathan, any signs of recovery, or, or, or did it still feel absolutely dire, the future? Um, uh, once again, one starts the next season thinking they'll get promoted you can't not you know it's 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 what you do as a fan and it being Chelsea do you think they're they're uh, they're good enough so um I, I I felt I thought it was going to be difficult but um I don't think dire no I think they'd they'd been uh, as I said turned a corner they'd been uh, I think Finiston the arrival of Finiston was something of great interest because he just uh, I think as we've established he he, he could 
he could put the ball away in a way that um, others couldn't. And I think that, that Maybank just uh, um, gave way, didn't he? Was he transferred at the end of that season, Mark? I can't remember, did he? He, he, went, he went on loan the following season to Fulham. Well, Fulham, yeah. of course he Yeah, did. so he, he joined Fulham the following season. Yeah. I think his last game for us the following season, I think, might have been Millwall at home. Yeah. He, he left in about the February. Yeah. Of course, Tommy Langley breaks through, doesn't he, That's next well. season, which yeah. Yeah. we'll talk about then. I mean, Mark, kind of same question for you, really. I mean, could you see the signs of recovery? I mean, I think you were saying you could earlier on, and we were yeah, mentioning and, and, Super and, Jock then. And I think there was a key game, and I, I think it was just after Jock came in, we played Southampton at home, because um, Southampton were FA Cup semi-finalists. They just missed out on promotion that year. And I think, we, yeah, we played well against Southampton. And I was too young to go, but there was a game later on, and by now Ray Lewington is in the side. And Ray Lewington is playing the McAuley role before McAuley probably was even born. And that McAuley role freed Ray Wilkins up even more. And we saw the benefits of that in the future season where Ray Wilkins was always playing in a number, number 10 role. And so that became our format. And we played Bristol City away. And Bristol City, we you know, were going for promotion. And all the reports of that game afterwards, you read the press reports on the Bound of Friday website, it actually said that Chelsea were the better side. So although Bristol took the lead twice, we came back first with a Kenny Swain goal, which is an absolute Yeah, brilliant goal. goal. And then from a Ray Wilkins corner, there's a Gary Stanley header. And each time Chelsea came back and finished the stronger side. Yeah. So although we didn't win in the last eight games, there, there, there were signs there. And I think, I think there, was an, there was another game um, shortly after we played Luton Town at home. Yeah, we drew 2-2, but Peter Benetti got injured in the first half. And Bill Garner went in goal. He went in goal, didn't he? Yeah. He went in goal. But yet we still, with 10 men, you know, we gave Luton a game. And we were unlucky not to win that game. So the, 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 signs, the signs were there. But as I said earlier, I think we had our stabilised 11 for the following season. Indeed. Well, I can't wait uh, to talk about that, which we will do uh, next week. Now, before we go to... Uh, the good old part four um, just a very quick plug for uh, the my Chelsea things that we do on a Friday uh, we, you had the dubious honour of having to listen, listen to me waffle on for over an hour last Friday talking to Tony Glover um, I'm not sure who it is this week because I've yet to record it but hopefully uh, we'll have one out for you on the on the Friday so look forward to that and uh, we, it might actually be Alex Churchill she keeps on avoiding me probably because she's so flaming busy doing her history excuse me, her History Hack podcasts, which are absolutely brilliant. I listened to uh, one of her Band of Brothers ones this afternoon when I was out for me constitutional, and it was absolutely brilliant. She's done a fantastic job. Uh, I, I now look at her. I won't be as rude to her when she's next on the Chelsea fancast because she's clearly a, a woman of greater talents than me, I can tell you. She's fantastic. And anyway, if you want to go and listen, if you like history... Go to historyhack.podbean.com. If you like Band of Brothers and Sharp and Hornblower and that kind of stuff, she's done some great episodes with them with all the cast. Ian Griffith, the bloke who plays Archie, half of the Band of Brothers cast, they are amazing. So check it out, people. Check it out. Now, after the break, we're going to be doing emails. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com 
Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. We're on the home straight. Uh, it's me, your Uncle Stamford Chidge, uh, my grandfather, Jonathan Kidd, and the legend that is Mr. Mark Meehan. Jonathan's reeling. He's reeling at that one. Your grandfather? Oh, well, I just, it just, it just came out of my head, you know, random shit. Oh. Do you know what the secret to comedy is, Jonathan? This is I can teach you something it, here because I know you like it a bit. Timing. No. Oh, okay. What is it? Then? It's not even the rule of three. What is it, Chidge? Come on then. Well, it's not even the topper, which is on top of the rule of three. Yeah. Uh, you'll know this as a as a, a professional. No, one of the best comedians of Britain told me this a long time ago, and I worked with him. He said, "Chidge," he said, "The this is Jeff Norcott or Nocock, as I used to call him, uh, Chidge." The secret to comedy is you have to have fucked up shit in your head. And I used to I used to write for him or with him. And he says, Chidge, you've got a lot of fucked up shit in your head. So there you go. I thought I'd share that with you, Jonathan. Thanks very much indeed. You'll now go on to have a stellar career thanks to that advice. <laughs> I'll employ it now. I've got it wrong all these years. I realize. Jonathan, I can safely say that you have got an abundance of fucked up shit in your head. I've seen the Rudy V's videos, mate. <laughs> all I'm saying. Or the Ruddy V's, as I like to call yes, them. Yes, you do, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, we've got Jonathan in the house. Poor old Mark uh, has been uh, waiting for me to reintroduce him. They've got the absolute legend that is Mark Meehan, who has been brilliant tonight, hasn't he, Jonathan? Yeah, well, actually, you could just have plugged him in and he could have done it, actually. Without, I know, without it's fantastic. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, this. I mean, I, I'm kind of speaking for Jonathan, which I don't mean to do, but Jonathan and I have absolutely been enraptured doing these 50 years of Chelsea's because we've had fantastic guests on who are just so knowledgeable about it it's been brilliant hasn't it oh, i love it i love it anyway you just nudge them along a bit and they i know they provide the uh, the info it's great it's wonderful i know they've written books and everything yeah. and we haven't, yeah, we haven't. it's fantastic no, no, i know no. all right okay time for some emails we've got a couple of quickies uh plus maybe i might throw in a random instagram one but the first one befalls to you jonathan oh, thank you. This is from andrew davis hi dave jonathan Ooh. Due to the lack of emails last week, I felt inclined, if you'll indulge me, to email in my own form of my Chelsea after hearing the great stories of fan cast members. I've loved listening to everyone's personal Chelsea journey, felt inspired to tell my own. Believe it or not, I started out life uh, uh, going to be sick as a Manchester United fan. Oh, oh my God. Oh. For no other reason that they were the most popular in school at the time. Yeah, it's, and living in South Wales, there was no obvious team in close proximity. After a few years with my father and uncle being long-standing Chelsea fans, I figured the only way I'd ever get to go to a football match was to switch allegiance. Hooray! So I tentatively agreed to go along to a pre-season friendly against Bristol City in 1995. It may have been a 1-1 draw, but seeing players like Mark Hughes in the flesh was something else. What a great player he was. My first official game was against Everton at the start of the 95-96 season. A nil-nil draw. Memorable for only two things. Anders Limpar hitting the post and the majesty of a certain rude Hullet making his debut. I was hooked. The whole experience, the three-hour journey along the M4, visiting the lucky chip shop on North End Road near the Cock, the walk along Fulham Road, the pokey little club shop on the corner, walking up the seemingly endless steps in the East Upper. All of it meant one thing. This was the only team for me. I was lucky enough to start going to games of what is pretty much agreed to be the start of modern Chelsea, the Glen Hoddle era. So whilst I can never fully say I was there when we were shit, I always counter that by saying I supported the Blues whilst we had Paul Furlong <laughs> up front, a happy medium 
in my eyes. You scored one of the great goals in that Cup Winners' Cup semi-final, hit him on the back and went in. Do you remember when the goalkeeper hit um, yeah, it? Yeah, Zaragoza. Yeah, well remembered. I saw a tweet recently that said your true heroes inevitably, inevitably remain those that were around at a time when you first started supporting the club. And I do think that's true. Whilst no one can doubt the hero status of players like Hazard, Drogba, Czech, Lampard and Terry. For me, my ultimate hero will always be Big Rudy Dill. Mark? <laughs> Dill Hullet. Rudy Hullet. Rudy, Rudy Ill Hullet. I can't read that. It's a, bit. it's a typo. It's a typo. Thank goodness. Leave Rudy Dill. Rudy Dill Hullet. Yeah. Rudy Hullet was just an utter... I agree completely. Was just an utter class about everyone else. My favourite ever Chelsea player. Agree completely above everyone else we had in the squad at the time his touch yes vision movement and grace on the ball yes was a sight to behold as joe tweeds would say a real rolls royce player other notable names in my heart from that time was obviously jean franco and luca viali i used to get to the ground early on match days hang about along the back of the stand getting autographs and photos was always utterly starstruck by all the players but there remained a special aura around the top players like viali and Dennis Wise, whose autograph was gold dust. I'll do my worst memories before going on to the best. Don't want to end on a sour note. I think Tony's comments about Matthew Harding's death were right on the mark. I was at that Spurs game and there was a real outpouring of emotion from us all. The forecourt littered with flowers, shirts, scarves and messages. In my youthful perspective, Harding was always the good guy compared with the pantomime villain. Ken Bates. What he did for Chelsea Football Club will never be forgotten, saving the club and securing our future with the CPO. But it's interesting to ponder how the club would look today if Harding had taken control. I was at the FA Cup game where United put five on us, that we pulled it back to 5-3, didn't really give much consolation. I was despondent at the time. The injustice of the Ovribo semi-final against Barca still rankles and I hated that Liverpool seemed to have the edge over us in the Champions League early on in the Roman era. I've never watched the Moscow final again. I never will. I always look away whenever there's any reference to that match. But all told, that's not a bad rap sheet to have as a fan. I certainly haven't had to endure the strangely nostalgic dark times with the boys in blue in Division 2, like you old timers have. <laughs> yes, well, I'll read it like that from now on then. We've been blessed in the last two decades in terms of memories. And sorry, I can't read it anymore. I can't see it. My eyesight's gone. Oh, it is back. And success. We've been blessed in the last two decades in terms of memories and success. But my first major moment was the FA Cup win in 97. I was lucky enough to have gone to a few games along the run and will forever remember the semi-final at Highbury and my first trip to Wembley and queuing for six hours through the night to get the tickets at the bridge. I vividly remember Di Matteo's goal in the final and how seconds before I was urging him to slide the ball through to Sparky. I don't think the Munich can ever be ever be topped and despite not being there I think everyone has their own individual story about that day only a few hours previously I'd found out I was going to be a father for the first time so with that and the dramatic win it really was written in the stars the bleary-eyed journey up to London the following day with the old man to see the trophy paraded in person capped off a great two days in terms of Chelsea songs there's two that stick out we get a bit of stick for the uh, the Chelsea, Chelsea. Oh, is that which one is that? Is the Chelsea, Chelsea, That's the one. Chelsea, Chelsea. Amazing Grace chant 
but people don't get it. It's a real chant of defiance, and only us Chelsea get it. I remember singing it for about 30 minutes at the end of a 2-0 defeat at Anfield and thought, yep, this is us, we're all Chelsea. I don't think though a full coordinated 10 men went to mow can be beaten. I agree, I agree. It's called spot though. Am I the only person in the world who thinks it's called spot? was when I yes. was little, anyway. I clearly am. It was that we always used to say, let's do spot. And we go, Tim and went to my man and his dog, spot, bottle of pot, sausage roll, old mother Riley and the cow, went to mow a meadow. That's what we used to do. But perhaps we were overtaken. It's quite rare you get a whole section singing it from start to finish now, but you just can't beat it. I agree. Either being amongst everyone standing up at 10 men or seeing a whole stand across from you standing up in unison. Brilliant. Thanks for taking the time and all the best during these troubled times. Also, just a quick line to say how much I've enjoyed the 50 years of Chelsea. Being a relative Joey, a Joey come lately, it's fascinating to hear insights of the time from JK and the others. Up the Chelsea. Excellent. Excellent email. Yeah. Terrific. I love that. Really enjoyed that. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I, do you want me to tell me, do you want me to tell you my Anders Limpar story? Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember. I think it might have been Peter Reed who told me this, but uh, Anders Limpar used to shave his body completely, no no hair on his body at all, including including arm armpits, bollocks, you name it. He was absolutely, uh, you know, bald as a coot. Yeah, back sack crack the lot, and and the Everton players thought this was a bit weird. No, really. So they used to dig him out, and they said, Anders, what what you know, what's with this shaving everything off, mate? He said. Well, my wife likes it. That's it. That was his only reply. My wife likes it. Because he was French, obviously. No, Swedish. My wife likes it. So she used to, she used to like, like, you know, make him shave everything. So there yeah. you go. Swedish, weird people. Yeah. I, I love you, Daniel and Freddie, by the way. Don't take that to heart. Um, anyway, so <laughs> moving swiftly on, because that went down like the proverbial I liked it, Chich. You liked it. Yeah, you did laugh story. a bit, yeah, didn't yeah. you? Would, would it make him run faster? Yeah, as well, absolutely. He right. was yeah. Yeah. aerodynamically yeah. more sound. Yeah, absolutely. Air streamed, yeah. air streamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. So there you go. He's a funny player, wasn't he? Though. Anyway, right. Next email, uh, Mr. Stephen Marshall, I believe, and he says, if I can find it, and it's down here. Right. Hi, Chidge and the boys. It's been several years since I last emailed. I'm not sure if you'll remember, given all the emails you get, but I'm the Chelsea fan from Leeds who emailed you about constantly being told I should support my hometown club. I do remember you, Stephen, actually, and I do remember that email. The last email was way back in the title-winning season under Conte. A lot has happened in my life since then. I'm now father of two boys instead of one. Congratulations. Uh, I've got my eldest, Jacob, shouting, Chelsea, to his lead support. Grand, uh, to his lead supporting granddad, much to his chagrin. Well done, good work. Uh, my youngest Evan is still too young to really get football, but when I put it uh, put put anything classic on uh, classic Chelsea on the TV, he's mesmerised by what's on the screen. It's probably a mixture of the bright colours of the football shirts on the green pitch, but I tell myself he's really mesmerised by the blues. Anyway. Apologies for rambling, uh, but something wonderful has happened to this horrible in this horrible pandemic. BT Sport have uh, have the highlights of every FA Cup final since 1989, weirdly bar 1993 and 96. So I've been revisiting all the old FA Cup finals. A few I hadn't seen, such as the five-goal thriller between Everton and Liverpool, or the three-three epic between Crystal Palace and Man United. Stephen Wright, uh, Stephen Wright, Ian Wright's goal. Yeah, I remember that well. A few have uh, I have skipped, such as 1994, <coughs> 2002, <coughs> and 2017. Although I think we all know why. <coughs> However. 
to my point, the wonderful thing is I've realised what the FA Cup truly means to me. It really is the most special of all finals. I've always defended it from idiots who call it a Mickey Mouse trophy, although I think they've been tricked by today's media who act like it isn't important because you don't get a huge cash intake or a Champions League place. Ridiculous, I say. Winning the cup is all the reward you should want. The FA Cup final truly has a feeling like no other game. Yes, it often isn't the game in the season, but that feeling of it being the granddaddy of them all is just so special. I think for my favourite ever final, it will be 1997, as it was the first trophy I ever saw us win. I don't know if that feeling can ever be paralleled. I was a little too young to feel the pain in 1994, but I really hated losing to them Gooners in 2017. At least we smashed them 4-1 in the Europa League final a few uh, a few seasons after, mind. I think from a neutral standpoint, the best final I saw was West Ham v Liverpool. A six-goal thriller that went to pens. Yeah, I didn't really want a Liverpool, uh, Liverpool to win, but what a great match. The worst final, because it was really boring, had to be the Portsmouth v Cardiff final. But still, it was great for those clubs to make the final in an era where the dominant teams are the top Premier League sides. I'm really sorry for the long email, but I really can't go on about how much I love the FA Cup final. So with that, I wanted to ask, what is the best and worst FA Cup finals you have watched, both from a neutral perspective and from a Chelsea perspective? (coughs) Excuse me. All the best and please stay safe. Up the Chelsea, kind regards, Stephen. That's a really good question. Uh, The worst uh, Cup final is 1994, isn't it, from a Chelsea perspective? Yeah, yeah. Because it was just so painful. Yeah. uh, uh, And... um, we always go on about that what if Peacock's shot had uh, gone in rather than hit the bar, but uh, I still thought we were going to lose it. So, uh, I was very negative about it because um, uh, they were marvellous, United, that season. So uh, um, there's always a possibility. We we had a bit of an Indian sign over, over United for a lot of the time, so you never knew what was going to happen. But um, um, Ellery made sure that uh, yeah. the, the referee... Peacock had scored, but have won that. You reckon? Do you reckon we'd have... Yeah. Because we'd, we'd beaten them twice yeah, that season. We had beaten them already, hadn't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that was dreadful. We were, we were so robbed in that match. What's your best one? Um, best FA Cup final. Um, I loved the the uh, the victory against Everton when we won the double. Was it we won the double? No, that was Portsmouth, wasn't it? Portsmouth with the double. Um, uh, was Everton 2008? Nine. 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 I loved it because I loved the fact we went down a goal down. To, was it a Sahar goal? Went a goal down and then came back and won it easily. And Frank was was imperious. Um, I loved the United one nil because because uh, of Drogba's great goal. Um, uh, Mourinho um, obviously ninety seven was brilliant just because of the as, as he it says is the first uh, that it was a trophy after so long. Um, pardon me. Um, but the the replay in 1970 will go down as obviously one of the great experiences of my um, watching Chelsea in cup finals existence, just because um, it was the first uh, um, the first trophy I'd ever seen them win, so, and it was a replay. And my dad took me, which was great. So, Mark, what about you? Best and worst? Uh, best <coughs> final? Yeah, it was the anniversary yesterday. 97 cup final. Yeah. After those 27 years, I just think that was just an incredible day. You know, not a great game, but you know, uh, just great winning the FA Cup for the first time in years. Worst one, agree with Jonathan, 94. 2002 wasn't much better, Arsenal um, losing to Arsenal. And even the 2001 when we won was an awful final. I know we yes, won it, but it was, it was a dreadful game. Uh, as a neutral, um, 
best cup finals are neutral as, as, a, as a game. I think the Coventry, yeah, Coventry Spurs was a great cup final, yeah. and, Keith and, and, and the right result as well at the, at the end of mm. it. Um, uh, and I think the worst cup final is a neutral. I think the the Arsenal Sheffield Wednesday cup final in the early nineties that was dross as well. Yeah. Apart from was it Stuart Morrow broke his arm for over celebrating? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it in the FA Cup? Or was it in the League Cup final? League Cup, because yeah, they played, they played, they played them twice league as well, didn't they? Yeah, they played yeah, they them did, league and they? FA Cup final. Two awful right. Cup finals that year. That's right. Yeah. He, he climbed on board somebody's back, didn't he? And just got um, got Tony speared Adams. into yeah. the ground. That's right. Got yeah. speared into the ground, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. I mean, if if I just stick to Chelsea, um, for me, it's a bit weird. I was too young for seventy, obviously. Um, I I I couldn't get a ticket for ninety four, so it was dreadful, you know, watching it home on TV. Ninety seven, I missed because I was in Saint Lucia, and I've told the story many a time about the fact that I recorded it on VHS in those days. And I had a media blackout while I was in the Caribbean. I came back and I put the VHS on and I watched it back to back twice. Um, but it wasn't the same because unlike these boys, I wasn't there. So it didn't kind of resonate with me as much. I couldn't get a ticket for the final in 2000. Um, so the first FA Cup final I actually managed to get a ticket for and only just. I had to. The, I got a ticket by buying uh, a barrel of beer from um, some football association club up in the northeast. The chairman had a ticket because, of course, the FA family all get tickets. And, I, and a mate of mine had tipped me the winks and she knew this bloke was going to sell a ticket and he couldn't sell it to me because they're not allowed to sell them. He said, aye, but we're having, a, we're having our feet in the... Uh, the club you know, we're having a feet. Yeah, uh, that's right, in, in, in May. And uh, if you sponsor a barrel of beer... So uh, basically I paid 120 quid to sponsor this barrel of beer and I got my FA Cup final ticket and that was the 2002 final. I was so excited to be there. And and I was with Phil and Martin and the and, and Stuart and Chris and all that lot. We had an absolute fucking riot all day. It took the pain away of losing. But actually, because we were always losing to Arsenal then, I didn't really go with a lot of hopes of winning it. So I didn't feel as crestfallen as maybe Mark did. So the first final I went to where we won, which has a special place in my heart, is, is the 2007 final. It was the first back at Wembley, of course. Because, of course, the Arsenal one was at Cardiff. So that took the edge off it a bit. So yeah, the 2007 for me was really special because we won, and uh, it's the first time I'd seen been there to actually you know be in the stadium to see Chelsea win a final. Most disappointing Chelsea FA Cup final for me was 2017 against Arsenal because we could have won the double and we were so much better than them and we absolutely fucked it up. And and, and I I have never a very I can think of only one or two other Chelsea games where I've left a stadium feeling so fed up. As that, I mean, it was just, we all were. Me, Phil, Pablo, we all just help, left helped off. by the dreadful refereeing as well. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, we didn't turn up, mate, and that's the truth right. of it. And they did, you know. And I was awful about that. But I mean, talking of neutral finals, Mark, um, I'm, I, I think that's in, in a sense more interesting because, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't going to football in the seventies like you were. I didn't really support Chelsea, really. Uh, and so the FA Cup, just kind of mitigating or, or, or going on about how, how good and how, how important FA Cup finals were, is the only game on, on TV, live game on TV. I can still tell you every single final from 1970 to 1980. In fact, I've got the DVD collection of them all. Every single one is etched on my memory as a, as a young kid. I would have been uh, 15 in 1980. So from the age of 5 to 15 are when these, these finals were taking place. And 
I mean, out of all of that lot, uh, I, mean, I remember the United-Arsenal one in 79, which was just nuts, the five-minute final. I remember Ipswich Town and uh, I can't remember his name now, the bloke who scored. Well, that was 1-0. Osborne. Os- Roger Osborne, that's right. The, yeah, Roger Obviously- Osborne. The, yeah. the, the Sunderland-Leeds final was a great one with... Yeah, yeah. With, pitch ...and Montgomery making that yeah. save. That was great. Uh, the West Ham Fulham one, I really remember that very well. That was probably the first final I remember vividly watching. You know where I actually sat down and watched the whole the whole final was the Liverpool uh, Newcastle one. You know, was that three 0 well, wasn't it? Three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Keegan scores. scores the goals. Something like Coleman says, "Goals pay the rent." Or something like that. It was brilliant. You had David Coleman commentating on the West Ham Fulham one. I remember really, really well. Southampton United, of course. You know, first season I was kind of. I mean, I went to the semi final, and you know, the atmosphere around here was amazing. But I'm with I'm with Mark. You know, the 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 three two, wasn't it? Coventry Spurs in '87, brilliant final. Keith Houchins diving header, and of course Spurs lost. So there you go. We've waffled on way too long, as always, but my God, has it been fun. That's a cracking email. I, I love questions. More questions like that, Jonathan. Well, Definitely. I thought we were going to have that regularly, Chidge. Yeah. People well, asking us questions, but that seems to have, as with the, the trivia quiz, seems to have disappeared. We've never done I, I, You know, I think I might, you know, Dan was talking about this on WhatsApp. I think we should try and do one with the Patreon oh, people. Half and half, What's he done? Half and half scarf. <gasps> yes, Dan, half and half scarf. Yeah. Awful, awful. We should have a minute's silence for Dan. Um, I think we should do a quiz on Patreon. I'm going to talk to Dan and see if we can organise it. Well, you are, you're up for that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right, enough. We've got to go. Uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next Monday when Jonathan and I will be again joined by the wonderful Mark Meehan uh, at Eddie Mac B-A-W-A on Twitter. And we'll be looking back at the 76-77 season in our 50 years of Chelsea series. We might even try and find some Chelsea news to come up with. Maybe a few fake transfer rumours. Who knows? Uh, but what? What, 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 what? Uh, uh, um, um, Hudson Adoy, of course, has been arrested. Oh, I forgot to read the other email out. There was one. Very Instagram. quickly. Well, Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do, do it very quickly because there, there won't be much to say in response, but it would be very uh, remiss not to read this out. Uh, well, well reminded. Uh, JK, God, you're a genius. Yeah, this came from Dane on Twitter, but it's from uh, Ben Stone. He says, Hey, Chidge, JK, and the rest of the crew just woke up to the news about Callum Hudson Odoi breaking quarantine protocol to see a model or something of the sort. I think it was a sort, not a model, but whatever. Anyway, personally, I don't want to believe it as he's one of my favourite younger players, but also after ha- uh, having it, uh, hearing it, having, uh, it, having you, it's you, more like it. Uh, yeah, I think having it's more accurate. You you think it would give him some perspective? Uh, I'm worried. Yeah, having the virus, obviously. I'm worried about how this is going to affect his career and especially how Lampard views him. He and Lampard have already had a rocky relationship, and I hope this doesn't force him to sell Hudson Odoi off. Hopefully, his actions are the last delinquent behaviour from Chelsea, who have done so much during these times. How do you all think it's going to affect his position in the club and his career? From Ben Stone, uh, a university student from the USA. Lovely to hear from you, Ben. And he also says, P.S., thanks for keeping the pod going. And the 50 years of Chelsea segments are amazing, especially for someone uh, young and far away from there. Uh, Well, my pleasure. You know Uh, the pain that we go through having to relive those moments. (laughs) Um, Now, it's funny that because Mark actually asked me before we went on air, are we going to talk about Hudson-Doyle? And I mean, in view of the fact that 
All we know at the moment is what what the son, the current bun, has <laughs> proclaimed. And also, uh, you know, he's been arrested by the police, I believe. Uh, I would imagine a lot of it's subject to see. And I think, you know, I would rather wait to see what happens before we comment on it. I mean, you know, obviously, if, if uh, you know, he's done wrong and there are rumours to suggest that he may well have done, that's absolutely awful and unconscionable. But we don't know. So I'm not going to add to the speculation. I'm not going to pour any oil on the flames or you know whatever i think it's as with the transfer rumors let's wait till the full facts come out before we discuss it is that right chaps jonathan yes and with the yeah, transfer, I, i'd agree Chid. I, I think the only thing I, I meant to mention tonight this is probably a good lead in is if people want to go back to their 75 76 program collection we had some very unusual adverts in that program back in those days uh, and in the ground, Mark. And in the ground. The story well, of O, Emmanuel. Emmanuel as well. I noticed. Yeah. And again, if you look back in your programme, Collection 75-6, amongst HMS Belfast and the Crown and Scepter Pub in Shepherd's Bush, we used to regularly have an advert from London Lady Escorts, which is the attractive and discreet company yes. for any occasion. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, think I can't remember what I said. The 13-year-old's mind in 1975. I had a phone. I think... I, Sorry, Jake. Go no, on. No, no, please. I was just going to say, Mark. Mark did actually WhatsApp that to me, and I and I think my reply was along the lines of, considering how shit Chelsea were, then I can't. Be, I can. I, I can see how the fans would need some relief after the match. <laughs> I shall just leave that there. Um, anyway, uh, Ben, thank you for that. And and as I said, I I don't mean to kind of wimp out of giving an answer on that, but I don't want to add to the speculation. Really, you know, some serious shit may have gone down, and let's wait to see what happens. Anyway. We know what's on next Friday. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, this Friday. Sorry, yeah, this Friday. My Chelsea. I don't know who's going to be on because I haven't recorded it yet. But one of us will be doing one. Uh, they're great fun, so I commend you to listen to that. Uh, talking about their favourite players, early matches, growing up, best and worst moments, all that kind of stuff. Fancast is available as a podcast on ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify as well as well as other podcast distributors, if I can even say that. Talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts, download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. You can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Chid, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Mark at Eddie Mac B A W A, Dean Mears at Dean Mears, Marco at Gate Seventeen, Marco, Joe at Joe Tweedy, Clayton at Goldie Fifty Nine, Tony at Grace at Jack UK, Martin at Martin Wickham, Dan at Dan Silver Seventy Three, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey, Alex at CFC GWLB, and of course, don't forget to check out the website ChelseaFanCast.com. Plenty of stuff going on there, and Facebook too, and Instagram, where we are at Chelsea Fancast. Mark, you have been nothing short of fantastic tonight. Brilliant. Really Brilliant. lovely to see you, apart from everything else. Yeah, but lovely, to tap into to your you knowledge as well. Really good to see you after all this time. Yeah, really enjoyable. I know, it's lovely to see. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll do it all again next week, mate. I can't. I, I, I'm excited already. No, we know, I can't Mark, wait. It'll be mostly you. We'll just <laughs> we'll take the night off as we often do. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good evening. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff mate. Great to see you, J.K. You've been fantastic as always. Keep safe and well. And, and thank you, and don't, everybody don't, at home as well. Yeah, so, guys, keep safe and well, everybody. And, yeah, and, but you and particularly, Chid, as the great man would say, stay dangerously well. Dangerously well, fella. Dangerously well. 
Oh, I love him. Bless his heart. All right. Okay. That's enough from us. Uh, you lot out in Mixler. Well done as well. It's great to see a few of you in there tonight, as always. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue. Keep it chair. Ch- keep. Oh, Deary me. I need what? to get. My- What's going what? on with me tonight? It's because I'm drying up. Oh, I, my, my, I my PA hasn't brought me any water, oh, Jonathan. How ridiculous. Beat up. You're fired. Fired. Go and jump out the window now. There you go. Yeah. So, anyway, I'll try that again. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Oh, Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.